Valar Margolis. Valar Dohiris. Hello, and welcome to 2C1C, a Game of Thrones living card game podcast founded in 2010 by myself, Will Lentz, Greg Atkinson, and Brad Zeiler. These days, my co-hosts may differ, but we're generally pulling from at least some familiar core voices. Many thanks go out to Fantasy Flight Games, George R. Martin, Card Game DB, and Josh Woodward for the CC licensed music you're hearing now. This is Season 5. Well... Welcome to another fine episode of Two Champs and a Chump. I don't know, it's just not the same when I say it. Would you They're lay that fine? on? Yeah. Yeah. I think they are. Well, welcome to another fine episode of Two Champs, One Chump. There you go. They, but it's it's worth noting they're fine. They're not fine. They're just fine. Another fine episode. <laughs> there you go. See, now now that you're back on an episode, now they're in that better version of fine. Okay. Yeah. Like Fine 2.0? Yes, Fine 2.0. Now now in glossier shades. <laughs> Extra glossy. Mm-hmm. With buttons. Ooh. Yeah. Well, welcome back, listeners, for sure. This is the long-awaited and, I think, much-anticipated uh, episode 200. Probably more anticipated on my part than yours, uh, but I'm going to try and make it worthwhile. Uh, of course, I have Mr. Brett Zeiler joining me again this week. What's up? <laughs> I say again this week. It's been uh, quite a some time. Yeah, exactly. But he was a stalwart co-host uh, for the show from its inception uh, up through, uh, what, probably halfway through season three? Did you, you know, go all like, the way to the end? Like I think last was I was on like like one eighteen or something like that. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So I mean, strong run, strong run. We were hoping to get uh, the original kind of four core hosts back on, but uh, scheduling didn't work to to get Greg and Daryl in here with us as well. But uh, thanks for carving out a little time to come give the listeners what they crave, Brett. They crave me. Yeah, totally. Oh. You were actually one of the original champs. I guess that's fair, but still, I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> I mean, they, they'll they'll take any champ at this point. They're just tired of listening to a chump for 200 episodes. <laughs> um, but I thought uh, we, we would talk for a moment before we get into some of the other stuff here. Just a kind of a little, little retrospective here in our situation here. Uh, in first edition, a little about how things came about, how the podcast went, how the game was, and, you know, kind of turn our sights to the future. So, I, you know, I think listeners have probably heard bits and pieces off and on, if they've listened all the way through, uh, about your kind of story there, Brett, but I think there are many others who maybe haven't listened to, to every episode. So how do you uh, originally kind of get into things? Oh, what a story it is. Uh, well, basically, I was at our local game store, Metagames Unlimited, one night. 
one of the previous employees, Jason Baldwin, was playing Game of Thrones, and I said, hey, what are you playing? And he said, the Game of Thrones card game. And my response was, I like Game of Thrones. Uh, so he showed me how to play, and I thought it was pretty cool. So about a core set, and then some packs, maybe, I don't even remember really. Uh, jumped to a week or two later at a LCG night, uh, I came to play. It was Will, myself, and I believe Paul Iannicelli. Oh, yeah. We're the only three people there on my first night. Uh, I got smashed hard. Will crushed me. Like, demoralizingly bad crushed me. Wow, I actually don't remember that. I wish mm-hmm. I did so I could really savor it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... That would have been 2009-ish, winter 2009, I think is when I first started. Okay. No, maybe 2008. Yeah, it would have been 2008, because I went to a Gen Con in 2009 before I won in 2010. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it would have been winter 2008, uh, and then I jumped into it, and I don't know. I feel like the rest is pretty well documented. (laughs) Well documented, you know, as you... uh got on the the show here with us and really got to to ramp up uh your presence in the community after winning a championship i I was trying to uh sit here and remember we started the show after you had won your first but not your second right uh yes it was after we started it in november of 2010 the first episode was on the way up to days of ice and fire which was just a couple months after i won the melee in 2010 gotcha gotcha yeah, good times. Great oldies. Yeah. Uh, I still, I don't want to say keep up, but I do go to Card Game DB every week or two and see what's going on. Keep some tabs. Keep a couple tabs, look at a new card if it gets spoiled. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. We'll be spoiling some uh, some pretty fun Baratheon cards later in this episode. Ooh. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll let you in on that. I mean, do you have any particular uh, highlights as things stood out from from the game, community, or a uh, favorite deck, or, you know, maybe podcasting made you the star that you finally uh, always wished you could be? <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of great memories, obviously. I mean, the victories are going to be good. Uh, meeting Rings and Bruno and a million other people who I couldn't name all of them, even if I really tried to, so I'm not going to attempt it. Uh, I mean, yeah, some of my best friends were found through the Game of Thrones. Uh, favorite decks, I mean, obviously my King of the, King of the Sea Viserys attachment deck is my favorite deck of all uh, time. I wondered if that would for sure be your favorite or the Maesters that, that won you worlds. Robert Maesters is probably a close second, and the one that I actually played uh, when I got conned into playing in the Moon Boy, the Stark Night's Watch deck. It's probably this, pretty high up there too. That deck was a lot of fun. This year's Moon Boy, it should should be pointed yeah. out to listeners. So, yeah, yeah, you haven't dropped <laughs> completely. But I got fit. Face. No big. Yeah. yeah, I wish I'd gotten to actually uh, face off against that deck. I, I heard it was pretty wild from the other folks at AJ. It was a good time. Awesome. But yeah. So I mean, any of yeah, I mean the Kings of the Sea of deck is probably my favorite deck. The best one's obviously the Robert Maester deck. I mean, the Viserys the whole smashing. only gets more tools as as the days go on, so to speak. That's true. That is true. Every every attachment that gets printed makes that deck better. Dude, I'm, or I'm potentially tell- better. I'm telling you, you come out of retirement for Worlds this year. 
the last 1.0 ever, and you play that you play the hell out of that Viserys deck of worlds. That is highly unlikely to happen, <laughs> but I'll say it's possible. It sounds pretty amazing, though, doesn't it? I think it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, I mean, speaking of, of playing and stuff, I know we've talked a little bit about second edition uh, here and there. You think uh, are you, mm-hmm. are you kind of jazzed up for that? You think it's gonna kick your attention back that direction a little bit more, mm-hmm. or just kind of wait and see? I'd say my current feelings on it is cautiously optimistic. Uh, I haven't. I don't even know if they've spoiled any cards like from FFG at all. I have no. I haven't checked anything like that they anytime s- recently. They uh, sort of have. Mm-hmm. Go go look on the podcast uh, Facebook page. We got a picture of the front and back of the box from Gamma this year, and you can read most of uh, Robert Baratheon. Okay, I think I got notified. I still get all the Two Champs One Trap notifications on my Facebook feed, so okay. whenever that stuff comes through, I see it, and then I usually just click over it to get rid of the notification. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'll check that out. Uh, but no, I'm just, I read the big letter that Nate wrote to the player base as a whole. And there's some decent ideas in there. Uh, like I, I'm pretty big fan of drop, dropping the whole influence thing. I think having to balance out multiple different resource bases and having a resource base that's only played in like a deck or two decks is kind of a waste. Right. Uh, the reserve value thing to keep hand sizes down is pretty, is a pretty cool idea. I was curious uh, more what you'd think uh, about that. You know, I, I know I feel like a lot of the decks that I've seen you play do kind of kind of want to be able to sit on that bigger hand size, but not all. No, I mean, I mean, I play a lot that do, but it's probably it's not good for the game. A max hand. I mean, I feel like most card games should have a max hand size of some kind to keep card draw from just completely being the most important thing you can have. Right. Hey, and then we can do it with the draw cap. Oh, are they getting rid of the draw cap? I that was the kind of the understanding that I got from, from Nate's letter and then chatting mm. with like Mike and and Nate uh, for the show was that yeah the this will be a, a replacement so to speak okay. for the Excellent. draw cap. I'm a bit, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'll probably pick up a core set. Well, uh, so you think uh, think that gives us any chance of dragging you back on the show uh, more regularly with second edition? Or um, we'll see. If, I mean, if I get back into it, I'll be more. I mean, the main reason that I haven't been, that I haven't been itching to get on the show is that I haven't been keeping up with anything. So I don't really have anything to add to conversations. Just uh, just borrow Daryl's sense of humor and uh, say some some crazy things. You'll you'll be perfect. I don't. I don't think I want to do that. Oh. That's, that's Daryl's thing. I don't want to steal that from Daryl. Yeah. If I take that from Daryl, what does he have? Nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. Okay, guys. I want to preface the rest of this episode by letting you know there are going to be certain segments where you will hear me pop in, much like this, uh, separately from the rest of the segments, where I'm going to go ahead and give you a word 
to post. I want you to go post that word on the Facebook page of Board Game Warehouse. Yes, they've partnered up with us uh, for the giveaway for the sweet, sweet deck boxes that you will have seen us post on Facebook. I want you to go post there. If you like us and you like Board Game Warehouse, and then post this appropriate uh, phrase by, let's see... This episode goes up on the 10th. We'll give everyone a week. So the 17th of April 2015, you will be entered in a drawing for one of those four deck boxes. Three, two, one. Okay, here we are yet again with another installment uh, of our uh, episode 200 segments for Two Champs and a Chump. This particular segment, of course, is myself. I've got my erstwhile co-host, Greg Atkinson, joining again. And for this segment, we've got Mr. Ben Tully on to join us. It's It's actually Dr. Ben Tully. Dr. You know, that is a good point. I should have definitely known that by now. <laughs> That's all right. Um, actually, properly, it's Mr. Brad Pitt. <laughs> Mr. Dr. 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 Pitt. Mr. Brad Pitt, yeah. Why? Uh, so what's up with this Brad Pitt business? I don't think most of the listeners are going to know unless I get the okay to also post Ben's photo along with the episode. Well, if you post his photo, then clearly everyone will know that he's a Brad Pitt doppelganger. Mm. Is he the good one or the bad one? Well, he's the one with the doctorate that's on reality TV, while the other one is married to Angelina Jolie and makes $25 million a movie. So I, I don't know which one's good yeah, or which one's bad. I don't know which bad. one is the good and bad one. I don't know. Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough call. I'm going to need a spreadsheet to really work out the pluses and minuses on this one. The first well, time that Greg told me that... He thought I looked like Brad Pitt. I was, I was, uh, he was maybe the fourth person in my life to tell me that. Mm-hmm. And, and now we're up to about 11 people. I, huh? I think that that's a very significant number by now. One person, that's an anomaly. Uh, 11, that's a trend. I don't know. You know, just out of curiosity, Ben, how many people would you say you've met in your life? Oh, uh, Let's get at a least, percentage here. at least 13. I was going to say at least <laughs> twice as many as 11. Okay. <laughs> well, well, for those that are unaware, Ben Tully, one of our uh, fellow Game of Thrones players. Brother in uh, arms, right? Yes. Ooh, yeah. uh, he has also recently been a contestant on the, uh, I think, sci-fi television. TBS. Jeez. TBS, I'm Greg. sorry. Come on. It's you know, very funny. TBS, very funny. Okay, TBS, you're right. I'm sorry. I need to remember that, you know, Big Bang Theory always comes on right before it. That should have cued me in to what television station I was watching. I mean, honestly, it's on my DVR, so I don't even notice. But uh, King of the Nerds. King of the Nerds Season 3. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome stuff. Uh, but maybe before we delve into that too much, let's... Let's maybe focus on the brother in arms bit. I'm a little curious how you got into the, the Game of Thrones uh, scene and how first edition kind of held up for you. What some of the the highlights were for you? I mean, sure. Here you uh, hang out with a pretty unsavory crowd. Right. All the uh, the tricksters and liars and thieves that are part of Southern California. But you you make do with what you have. The scum and villainy, you might say. Yeah. 
the Sand Snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually started playing Thrones way, 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 way back in the CCG. Uh, I played in in Westeros edition and then through the first two expansions and then went to college. Um, so that was an interesting experience because it essentially was that period of time where uh, I made no money. The guy who consistently won at the store that we went to was the g- co-owner of the store. So he was buying two to three boxes per set. And I was buying packs and then trading with my friends to get the one house that I wanted. Hmm, which um, house was that? I was, um, I played Lannister and then when Greyjoy came out, I was doing Lannister and Greyjoy. Good choices. Yeah. And so I had my friend who was, uh, Baratheon in, in the CCG in that first era. Uh, Baratheon was a little, little hard to play. <laughs> he always hated that. He was stuck with Baratheon. He didn't know how he got stuck there. <laughs> Um, and then I, and I went on away for a long time and kind of kept an eye on the CCG for a while. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe four or five cycles into first edition, I had moved to Southern California and the show was about coming out, um, on HBO. And I was like getting really excited about the idea of getting back into Thrones. And I happened to message John Krause in San Diego and he... And he was like, oh, you know what? I just heard that one of the guys who used to play in Los Angeles is getting back to, into playing. His name's John Bruno. You should look him up. Uh, John Bruno actually then at that time I only lived about a half a mile from my house. And then I kept, and then he brought me back into the fold. And, you know, several hundred dollars later, I was back into having every card and, you know, at that point in first edition and played for a year and a half. And then I took some time off when I, um, Got a little serious with playing the Star Wars LCG. Did a uh, podcast for that. Or, or is, did, is uh, the Smuggler's Den still running? The Smuggler's Den is still running. It's currently in a, a different iteration than it started off. It's called the new Smuggler's Den now. Okay. Uh, as my co-host, who I started it with, Tiny Grimes, has moved on from Star Wars. Uh, not moved on in the sense that he died, but just <laughs> doesn't play play Star Wars anymore. Um, and then, so I haven't been playing... But now, you know, I, I've always considered myself a Thrones person. I still hang out uh, with all of the unsavory Southern California people who play Thrones, just normally playing different games. And uh, I'm really looking forward to second edition. Yeah, second edition is going to be good. And the wait is almost over, thankfully. Mm. So do you guys, Do you guys have an active clock somewhere that tells you how many days until... The release of Gen Con? You know, um, I don't, but now that you've brought that idea up, I think we do need a second edition clock. I might have to make that happen. Just counting down the days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that needs so to happen. Ben, I remember several years ago when I was talking to John, and he was telling me how he regularly played games with someone down the street. Do you guys live close to each other? We used to. Uh, we now actually okay. live pretty far away from each other not very far uh depends as as everything does in los angeles it depends on the traffic um so without traffic we're maybe about 25 minutes away from each other but it it used to literally be you know four minutes in a car to get from my old apartment to his apartment so if you've played a hundred games against john approximately how many do you win out of every hundred like six (laughs) percent wow so less than the number of people that think you look like brad pitt yeah, yeah. the the number the the number of games that I've won against John are is probably in the ten to fifteen range, and that's over 
mm, I don't know, three and a half years, four years now at this point. He, he's a very good player. Uh, he always knows exactly how he, it would always be these things I'd go over and test and be like, Oh, what deck do you think I should run? And we'd come up with something together and build it together. And then he'd be like, well, let me just try out this deck against it. And he would go through his one of seven decks ranging from tier one to tier three and every time just crush me. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with that. He was memorizing the decks as he helped me build them. <laughs> he's, he's that one guy who, uh, I know who, if he knows every card in your deck, you've already lost. <laughs> Pretty much. It doesn't, it doesn't matter at that point, especially if he knows your plots. I this past that. weekend, Will and I and some other people have decided that we will be instituting the phrase, what would Bruno do? Um, for a number of life situations and coming to satisfactory answers. It, I mean, it's, I don't know if anybody should live their life like that. Except for John Bruno, but it would be interesting to see if you guys can. It'd be a good experiment. So that's my throne story, for the most part. Yeah, well, for the most part. So you're uh, you're sticking around for second edition, then I hope. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I can't I cannot wait for it to come out. I'm actually so excited about it. I'll probably be at Gen Con this year, just almost exclusively to get my hands on it and play in the introductory tournament. Do you do you wind up traveling to like Worlds and Gen Con much? I'm trying to remember. I think I've only met you in person the once. Yeah, so I went to Worlds the first year. Did not go back last year, and uh, I have never been to Gen Con. This would be my first oh, okay. first Gen Con. Yeah, then, I'm yeah, very, I'm very excited about it. Just met you that one year then at uh, Wendy's, if I remember right. Yeah. Are you considered a special guest at Gen Con? Do you get a booth where you sign autograph pictures? I no, I've but I also haven't tried to follow up on that. So. I don't think anybody would want me to. I I know uh, some of the other contestants on season three have gone to cons and had picture signed pictures, but I don't know if I haven't asked them about it. So I don't know if they were like signing pictures and like people actually came up to them or they were signing pictures and like they were trying to like hand them out to like four year olds or five year olds and be like, hey, you know, you met somebody famous and the kids would run off and be like, that's amazing and have no idea who they were. But I, I can follow up on that. You should, if nothing else, see if you can uh, get your entry into Gen Con covered this year. Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. I mean, I know other contestants from previous seasons who are attending. Oh, cool. Um, and so they're not getting in for free, so I'd imagine, uh, and they're much better at that than I am. Um, so I'd imagine that I'm also not getting in for free, but it's always it's always a dream. It's, it was one of the goals of uh, going on the show. Uh I went in with the the mindset of like, well, maybe I'll just get into stuff for free from now on. <laughs> even if even even if and when I lose, maybe I'll just get into stuff for free. It's a worthy goal to have, I think. I mean, I thought so. I, I was being told before, like the lead up going into the show, like, well, you know, you'll definitely get into Gen Con for free for or not Gen, uh, San Diego Comic Con for free from now on. You know, that's what happens. You just get to go for free. And I was really excited about it, and then I tried and, and didn't get it. Wow. So that was just the friends and family cheering you on? <laughs> yeah, it was it was just people people with delusions about like what happens at cons and <laughs> how you get passes for it. Oh wow. So on that note, since we are uh you know, talking a little King of the Nerds, um share with us uh, you know, real quickly a little bit about that that overall experience. Sure, yeah. Uh, it was completely and totally random. Uh, I signed up, like I did an audition tape in the last minute, and everything that happened from that point forward was kind of like this kind of rolling downhill motion of like, well, that worked. I wonder, like, let's just keep going with it. And so that, that was a constant theme leading probably all the way up until the finale 
where that seemed to work. So let's keep going. Right. Like I, you, you got an, you put in your audition tape, you get the callback interview. They're like, yeah, we want you to come and do this next thing. I'm like, all right, well, I'll do that. And then it's like, well, we want you to come to the hotel. And I'm telling everybody like, don't worry. They're not going to pick me. I'm not going to be on the show. It's not going to happen. They pick me. I'm like, okay, everybody, don't worry about it. They're, I'm only going to be on for like a day or two. I'm going to get knocked out really quickly. And then I was there the whole time. <laughs> and it was just like this constant like rolling downhill until like I was like, oh, well, we're done shooting. And here we are. Yeah. It looked like a wild ride. It was great. Yeah, it was a really awesome experience. I'd highly recommend to anybody who's thinking about auditioning for it to do it. Like it's worth the entire experience. Um I, it's definitely not something I look back on. I'm like, oh, that was a waste of time. Yeah. Because it was great. Because I actually, I thought long and hard. I had a bunch of friends down here saying, oh, yeah, you totally should last time around. And then <laughs> I, I wussed out in the end. And then when they were naming contestants, I saw you and I was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a shock. Like I said, it was a shock to me, too. I, I always, I mean, I know I'm a nerd and I know I, I'm very proud about it and, wear it on my sleeve all the time but it was still something where i was still convinced every time they were like oh yeah we want you i was like are you are you sure you like are you sure like you're calling the right number like are you like you're at the right hotel room like you want you know it was like this whole thing where i was i I didn't believe it until it was almost too late to like still really appreciate it well speaking of all right so oh go ahead will Mine's actually a pretty simple one. Just speaking of appreciating it, uh, it's kind of hard to tell from watching the show. Like in real time, how long is that actual experience? So each episode, they're like last week, you know, uh, and it looks like it's eight weeks, but it's actually we were filming for twenty days. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was a uh, um, well, I guess we were filming for we were filming for eighteen days, but it was like three weeks. We we started on a Monday. And then ended on a Sunday. So no, that does does sound like enough time to savor it. I mean, it was good. I mean, uh, being there the whole time, right? Not not being sent off at all, right? So anybody else who got sent off, they kind of had to go and putz around and then come back. They weren't, you know, it wasn't like they were there just off camera. Mm-hmm. And we saw them all the time. They actually had to physically leave, and then they all came back at the end. Um, you know, being there, you kind of get you kind of get lost in it. It becomes its own kind of version of reality. It's its own little bubble. You're like marking the days in this really weird way because it's not about what day of the week it is. It's about okay, today's a nerd war day. That means tomorrow's a nerd off day, which means that in two days it's going to be another nerd. like. So it was. It's a constant like checking and comparing to what like the next competition is. Right. It was a constant like ride of adrenaline and then adrenaline crashes and then more adrenaline and then and you just have to imagine that for like three weeks straight where you know that that's what it is and then you're not even doing it in like a real place you're doing it in this place where you're not allowed to like interact with those around you like people around you when the cameras aren't there so like it was a constant like building up of adrenaline now you have to sit here and wait like you, but don't talk to anybody. Don't like try and relieve any of the adrenaline or any of the, you know, what's going on. You have to wait until the cameras are here. Okay. Now do what you were thinking of doing. Like it's, it's that kind of like people were coming on with like the idea that it was like a vacation and it was, it was way, way, way more mentally stressful than any vacation I've ever been on. All right. Two questions. You know, one, there's the video clips where each of you are basically talking to the camera on your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when 
when this is cut and edited and shown to the viewer, you know, sometimes you guys are talking as if you don't know what's going to happen, you know, and do they cue you? Like, do they say, share your experience of what you guys just went through, but don't say what happens until you actually get to that point in the story? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of what the interviews are like. So they're they're interviewing everybody. They're asking everybody pretty much the same question. So anytime you see somebody who's answering a question, that's one of seven contestants who gave the same answer, and they just went with the person who said it most succinctly or most hysterically, whatever they're looking for in that moment. Um, right. And a lot of t- and you would get you get it both ways, right? So sometimes there'd be they tried to always make sure that for any of the bigger stuff, um, especially if you were involved in it hands on that they were getting your opinions before going to any of the events. You know, there's a lot of always build up, but anytime you, anytime there was like a comment of like, I'm trying to think of a good example, but if you're, if you are, if somebody's commenting about something that's happening in a challenge, right? So you're in, you're watching the show, a challenge is happening. Somebody makes a comment about it. That's generally happening after the challenge is finished. That's somebody coming back into the room. The interviewer's like, okay, well, let's go over what happened in that challenge. Um, and, and you tell me, you know, and try and keep it in present tense like it's actually happening right now. Um, and my other question is, you know, being that the show is the celebration of nerddom, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones is something that was brought up from time to time, whether it be <laughs> like a nerd war or a nerd off. If you had a question lobbed at you. Yeah, right? That was the best question I could have ever gotten. So, Mike, did you ever feel like when someone was talking about Game of Thrones, just sort of like that they're a Game of Thrones poser? Like, you're just that much more knowledgeable than them? Like, there was one time when I think Todd was yelling at the blonde-haired chick and called her Cersei Lannister for being a backstabber. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, part of me was like, I don't even find that funny because I bet he hasn't even read the books four times like the rest of us. <laughs> I don't, I can't speak to how many times he's actually read it. Um, there were definitely contestants who hadn't even watched the episode, um, as, as, you know, as, as part of their knowledge about Thrones. But I, I feel like that in a lot of things where people start talking, I'm like, no, I, I, I know what you're talking. Yeah. No, I, I do know what you're talking about. I know it's in such like a deep level. It's kind of scary. Um, and, and Thrones is one of those, Thrones is one of the thing, those things for me by far. When, uh, when I got the ask, ask the question in the, like the round robin question nerd war that we had, that was great houses of Westeros. <laughs> and I was, and I was like, I was like, one was this question made for me. Two, I didn't know where to draw the line, right? Like yeah. I, I, I took this gamble with House Tully just because it was going to sound so awesome. Oh, yeah. Saying so it. So great. Like, you know, people there, I still get comments from people who are like, who watched the show and didn't realize it was my last name. And that was the reason why I said it, <laughs> which I think is, and it, that was one of the reasons I thought it was just such a beautiful, like, thing to have done. Um, but like, where's the line? What's the line for the great houses? Is it just, you know, is there just nine great houses? Currently. Can you say, can you say house Clegane? Does that, I mean, that's not a great house, but it's kind of like an important house. Like, you know, I, it's like that type of thing where I had no idea where the line was. And by saying House Tully, I kind of almost put myself in the situation where, like, they were only looking for, you know, the the houses of the the Seven Kingdoms or something like that. And, you know, House Tully just happens to be in that. But, but maybe they were only looking for Lannister Baratheon Targaryen. And I was like, ooh, Tully, I'm a nerd. 
And then <laughs> it would have completely kicked me in the face. That would have been rough. It would have been really bad. <laughs> you know, I'm curious, following up with the the Thrones stuff, you know, and I, I'm just wondering, do you feel kind of that Thrones helped out at all? I know uh, Callie's not real well known for playing much Melee, so I don't know if you really pulled some political savvy in there or not. I I was definitely looking forward to the part where it became an individual game. I hadn't ever made the connection between enjoying Melee and, and enjoying Joust, or not enjoying Melee and only enjoying Joust, until right this second, so thanks for that, oh. Will. But but maybe I, if I had been playing more Melee, I would have been more comfortable uh, with the group manipulation side of it all. Um, I would say that one of, I, I got a, like a... So one of the things I got a lot of comments about was in the finale when I was going up against Jonathan about how much he was trying to quote unquote psych me out with like essentially table talk, right? Mm-hmm. He has a lot of comments. He's telling me stories. He wants me to be chatty and I'm just giving him nothing. Like there's no emotion. I'm just trying to play completely and totally level. And that was, that was always my strategy. And that's something that I've learned through Thrones playing against people like John Bruno and like Tiny Grimes who are constantly trying to throw you off your game by talking to you. And it was one of these things that like even going back, you know, through other card games, you know, Tiny and I played a lot of Star Wars together. And so I knew a lot of he would always tell me he's like, oh, you have these tells, right? Like you give away too much in your face you're doing too much. And I and I was literally thinking that in this like final competition of like, don't show him like don't give him anything. And as, and as much as everybody's like, oh, it was so smart of Jonathan to like try and mind game you. And it was such like a, you know, a, a great gamesmanship. You know, Jonathan came up to me at one point. I don't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't after he won. It was like one of the challenges in the middle. And he's like, you're giving me nothing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, I can't, I can't even tell <laughs> if I'm rattling you. And I'm like, I know that's the entire point of what I'm doing right now. Yeah, it, it was interesting uh, to watch. I, we definitely had some comments along those lines uh, down here, too, particularly uh, Kristen, my my fiance, mentioning that she would hate playing a joust game against you because <laughs> of that exact reason. I, I, you know, I hadn't really I, I I'm never really in a situation in Thrones, I feel like, where I'm not I feel like I have to be so stoic that I can't talk. Um I mean, I've never, it's not like I've ever sat at a top 16 in Worlds or something like that and been like, okay, this is super serious. I have to be very serious. Whenever I'm playing, I, I feel one of, the, one of the reasons that I almost always do poorly at Thrones is I don't take it seriously enough when I'm playing at like a store championship or, you know, some, you know, I guess store championship is the equivalent nowadays, but like back in the day when you used to go to like 15 regionals, mm-hmm. um, I'd always be like, oh yeah, no, let's, let's chat. Like, I like the person who I'm sitting across from. Let's talk about, like, how the game is going. And then I would not do as well as I wanted. And I always, and nowadays I chalk it up to being, taking it too lightly. All right. So question for you, Ben. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, let's say the prizes were the same. Would you prefer to win the Game of Thrones World and Joust Championships? Or would you prefer prefer to be crowned king of the nerds? Again, assuming prizes are exactly the same for each one. I noticed you didn't give him a Star Wars option. Yeah, well, Star Wars isn't that important anymore. Okay. <laughs> that game, that game is interesting. I can have a. I'm, someday I'll have a whole podcast about my opinions of the current stat, state of Star Wars. Uh, would I rather be? I think it would have to be King of the Nerds. 
if they were identical in their prize. Uh, mainly because, I don't know if you know this, but the title of World Champion of Thrones is still a pretty small title compared to King of All of the Nerds for a year. An actual king this time as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess, too, yeah. Well, I just mean, we we were really wondering uh, as we were watching this year if I, if one of the, the guys was going to take it down or if we'd have uh, a hat trick for the ladies. I don't think Jonathan and I at any point thought that the girls were going to win. <laughs> Even when they outnumbered us four to two, I, feel, I still think we were thinking to ourselves, yeah, it's going to be one of us. I actually, when you guys were outnumbered four to two, I remember even turning to my wife and saying, they're just going to, you know, vote off the guys and make it an all girl thing. Yeah. And they didn't do it. So I think at that point, they normally lose the ability to like gang up on, on people like that. Right. The, the voting on the, in in the individual game is so different from the voting in the team game. Um, because it's like the balance of power is just so, just so different that even if they had wanted to, I don't think they would have uh, been able to, but maybe they, I mean, if they had, if they had really wanted to, they could have gone for Jonathan, but I, I don't think at that point they saw Jonathan as a threat either. So it was, they wouldn't have really been trying that hard. I don't think they all thought that they could beat Jonathan as well. From the viewer yeah. standpoint, in my mind, Jonathan was actually the little finger. You know, he was always trying to manipulate things and manipulate people, at least, you know, from the viewer standpoint. Oh, he was, uh, I totally agree. He was definitely like that. Switch some deals around. I had to keep wondering, you know, thinking of the the individual votes, especially when it was kind of getting down to the wire. I mean, did you guys chit chat? Did, did Survivor ever come up? Is anybody that was on the show a fan? Because I just kept watching and thinking, yeah, I, I don't think anybody on here has watched Survivor, which at this point has kind of honed that sort of uh, dynamic to a fine art. Uh, the only really big Survivor fan was Amanda. Um, and, and she's a she's a very big reality game show fan. So, like, one of her... And I'm not even sure if Survivor is her favorite. Her favorite favorite is, like, Big Brother, which I didn't even know was still on the air. Uh, but she, either. She was a, she's a very big fan of, like, Big Brother... And the fact that you can like subscribe to the Big Brother feed and watch the contestants live 24 hours a day. And that's, that's really interesting. And I'm like, how? No, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound interesting to me at all. So, you know, when I asked you the question about which one you prefer and you mentioned, you know, winning King of the Nerds because it's a bigger title, my question is, does anyone really think the winner was King of the Nerds or do people just think the winner won a reality television program? Um, I think, I think the people just think the winner has won a reality television program, but I do like, uh, I think the idea of being King of the Nerds would have been cool just for the, the idea of going to cons. Like one of the reasons I'm really trying to go to cons this year is because it's going to be the only time that I'll go to cons and instead of like walking around and like knowing maybe the one person I'm there with, I'll actually get to meet other people, like people from other places and people with other ideas and, and like kind of really get, uh, a, a nice big scope, fresh, uh, breath of fresh air version of what like nerds everywhere are like, as opposed to like the nerds that I hang out with all the time. Kind of one of the things that I was, I, I like the idea of and, and why I think the title, I would prefer the title King of the Nerds. Well, unfortunately you didn't win. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert, everybody. 
Um, but you know, hey, maybe you go ahead and win Thrones and get, uh, you know, get to at least satisfy that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have any delusions anymore uh, that I could possibly come in and and win win a big Thrones tournament. Um, I like to come and play Thrones and be competitive at it, and that I will continue to do. But I don't. I, I'm going to leave the delusions of grandeur about being the Thrones world champion to uh, other members of the meta who take it very, very, very seriously. Well, I think our uh, our time draws to a close here. Un- unfortunately, it was such a good sh- chat uh, that the time flew by. I may have to, to bug you to come back another time, Ben. Uh, I'd be happy you to. You can scare up some time to co-host. Yeah. Awesome. I can pretend to know stuff about the current uh, cycle. In first edition, for sure. Uh, um, yeah, you know, I think, uh, well, the listeners will hear me chat about this later, but, uh, I think things are going to wind down for the show for the rest of, of first edition so that we can organize and kind of, kind of tackle second edition again. So I think that, that would be the, the focus. That would be great. I say yes to that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you guys for having me on. It was a, uh, it's been a, uh, I wouldn't say it's been a lifelong goal to be on Two Chances and Chum, <laughs> but it, it definitely, uh, was one of those things where I was like, man, and I, and I told you this when I met you guys, uh, at Worlds a couple of years ago is it feels like I've known you guys for years and I kind of like popped up. I was like, I know you guys. And you're like, you're just somebody who listens to us on the internet. And I was like, you're right. That is, that is exactly what I am. And so it's it is uh, it's very nice to be able to be on the show and actually chat with you guys. I yeah. I understand, Ben. I've known you for years too. Legends of the Fall, River Runs Through It. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've well, just enjoyed being able to watch you on TV for the last several decades. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I'll, hopefully, several more to come. Okay, heads up, guys. The word this time is actually a phrase. Head on over to Facebook, make sure you like both the podcast and Board Game Warehouse, and post on Board Game Warehouse's wall, The Dwarf's Penny. Alright, welcome to I what is, I'm sure, the segment you all tuned in for here on episode 200. Um, for this part, uh, myself... Well, of course, and Greg returns to the show triumphantly here uh, to have a little roundtable, so to speak, with Nate French, everyone's favorite LCG lead designer, right? Um, only the table's not really round. It's kind of rectangular, but, you know, we make do with what we can do, right? Yes. Pulling out all the stops. Yes. So, episode 200. Wow, this is kind of a big deal. It's a It's a big number. Yeah, it's a disturbingly big number when I think about it too much. I'm, I apologize for having been hiding under a rock lately. And yeah, for approximately the last 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was thinking about that earlier because we were talking about Nate has actually joined us once before on episode 100. Yep. Um, a while ago, we were in a completely different building back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, in the other, uh, around the corner, right? It was the one right next to the old event center. Oh, right, so across the street and, like, a block down, right? Yep, Okay. For those that are unaware, we are discussing Roseville geography right now, right? Yes. Yes. 
Yeah. I think Greg was unaware of what we were discussing. <laughs> you know, actually, I think we've all moved since then. Nate, Nate's office has moved. I've uh, I've moved apartments and cities. I think Greg oh, has moved yeah. houses since then. Yeah. I I moved from the basement of my apartment to the third floor, so I'm moving up in the world. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but you had to like carry all that stuff upstairs. That yeah, had to suck. But, well, I had Damon and Brad and Eric and Lucas all helping me, so it oh, okay. went well. By helping, you mean you just drank a Coors Light and directed while they yep. carried, right? Yep. Okay, good man. <laughs> Well, uh, we thought we would uh, bug Nate and bring him back on here again for another monumental episode. Uh, continuing the theme of this episode, I think we'll hit a little bit of a retrospective here on first edition and uh, get a little little bit more looking forward into second as well. So I, I know most folks can probably check out episode 100 for a bit of what we talked with Nate uh, in the past about, a little bit about how he... Uh, came into the game and stuff, but, you know, I'm, uh, some of our listeners probably aren't going to be quite that astute uh, to go back and double-check that. So, in, in a nutshell, Nate, how did you wind up in this position? Um, I started playing the game in late 2002, got really into it probably more than I should have in 2003, and did well at Gen Con, got into playtesting um, when Casey Galvin left the company in... It was the winter of 2005. He was urging me to send in a resume and because he thought I'd really like the job. I did, not thinking I'd have much of a chance to go anywhere, but it went somewhere, and I moved to Minnesota and been working with FFG since 2006. So we are on nine-plus years of you being Game of Thrones lead designer or FFG, one of their lead designers in one way on Game of Thrones for yeah. much of that time. I mean, not yep. just... Game of Thrones, I mean, how many games have launched with your uh, see, the, name on them? The LCGs I've worked on were I mean, Game of Thrones, Call of Cthulhu, Warhammer Invasion, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and Warhammer Conquest. And then, obviously, the next one will be Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, which we're all looking forward to. So, nice. And you have significantly eclipsed in time any of the individuals who held your job before you did. Most of them... Like Casey, I mean, Casey's just a flash in the pan, right? I don't know, but I mean, you've held it for such a long time. I think that speaks a lot to. Long, I mean, this there are very few games that have survived this long, and it is, uh, I think, a testament to the work you've done. So yeah, and I think it's also a testament to the game. Though. Like it, it was the game first that drew me in, and I think it's it's a worthy game to keep out there, and that's part of why I really enjoy the job is because I love the game. Well, I mean, that, I think, leads us very nicely into what we were going to bug you about next. I mean, about the first edition, what, uh, I mean, there's bound to be a lot of favorites to talk about here. So which one do we start with? I mean, do you have any general specific um, favorite memory of first edition? Yeah, there's a few. Like the um, So first edition started with a lot of controversy because it was right accompanied with the change from the CCG to the LCG was when this edition of the game that we're talking about as first edition started. And there were a lot of people who didn't, didn't quite know whether or not the LCG model was going to work. Um, and the first first couple of years were it was it was we were gradually attracting people and you could kind of see it growing but it was still a little uncertain um i think one moment as far as like a memory where it seemed like it really seemed like the tide had shifted and things were on an upswing and people were 
buying in. It was the first days of ice and fire and George Martin was there and it was snowing in Minnesota and we got more people came out to play the game and were interested in it and demoing it than we had anticipated and we really didn't have enough space for the event. But you just, it really, that event for those who were there, it seemed really magical and like there were there were brighter days ahead, even though winter was coming to Minnesota. Like you, you got this kind of like really warm, almost magical sense. And that, that event seemed, it, it seems like a turning point where first edition really started to take off and then followed up like Dance of Dragons and the HBO show really helped. And the card pool grew to a size where the metagame got really interesting and the tournaments just started doing fantastically well and everything, everything kind of came together. I'd like to make a note about that day's of ice and fire. Just okay. I was going to make a note about it, but go ahead. I wonder if it's the same one. Both of us played the Army Recursion deck at that tournament. Oh, that was not the note I was going to make. Yeah, so that was the beginning of Nate's lifelong hatred of me and that deck. (laughs) Um, I would guess that if we got that deck out now, there is a minimum of six restricted cards, if not more. From that version of the deck, yes. What you also need to remember is I've tried that deck again several times over the years, and, and it, Nate keeps restricting the new cards I added. <laughs> so it's, you guys it's a need, very full dartboard in the FFG you, office. You guys need to stop talking about it. So <laughs> push these cards on our radar. It's like, oh, that card is in the deck. we gotta got to do something about it. Yeah. No, I'd forgotten that was the, the first time we played that deck. And... Uh, did either of us actually make the cut that no, year? No, you made the cut. Okay. We had to play okay. each other. I remember that, yeah, yeah because uh, I had an early uh, No Shadows, Night of Flowers, and you. I, I vaguely remember that you were really expecting like the recursion stuff and me to try and work on that, and I, and I was like, nope, I'm just going to rush for a win yeah. with the Night of Flowers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that was an interesting weekend, too, because that's obviously when uh, our podcast, it was pretty much when our podcast started. Yeah, well, um, our first recording was on the drive up there, yes. so that Days of Ice and Fire really kicked off our show as well. And we interviewed Martin while we right. were out there. That was the part I was going to throw out there for listeners looking way back at episodes. I think that probably was about episode five by the time it got put out. Uh, the audio, I'm sure, is really rough, even even by my low standards, so I probably ought to look at redoing that at some point. Yeah, another thing I remember very, very fondly about that event was a that was kind of when a lot of older players who never had really kind of made the transition or maybe even dropped out before the transition to the LCG started coming back. Like I remember Casey Galvin and a couple of his friends showed up, and I, I do remember playing a few games with Casey there, kind of those throwback type games, and... Lord of Brewtown for some real old timers was oh, there. And Jesse, yeah. Jesse made his first that. appearance and Jesse's actually yep. been playing ever since. But yeah. like some people who had been absent seemed like that that period brought them back to the game and that was really it was really nice to see. Yeah. You know, thinking about periods, I thought it was interesting that you, you noted what we're calling first edition kind of kicked off then and with the the L C G and and stuff. And you know, I've been sitting here the whole time thinking of first edition as encompassing the CCG too. Should I be calling that like point five edition? Um, I think it, they're they're definitely merged, but I do 
for me at least, the, the transition from CCG to LCG did mark a rebirth period of the game, even though it kind of, they blurred together for a while there. Like the CCG really seems like one entity in my mind, and then starting with the core set and moving to where where we are right now, really, that strikes me as the first edition of the LCG. Mm-hmm. So maybe CCG, LCG first edition, and LCG second edition are the, the three major spheres, at least in my from my perspective, that I see as those are the, the big dividing points in the game's history. Cool. So tell us a little bit about how you feel right now about the state. I, I know you've already said you think it's in a good state about the state of first edition and your general feelings um, about it as we kind of go into its swan song, you know, the last few months of it being, you know, the tournament legal card pool that we'll be using. I think it, I think it is in pretty good shape right now. Um, I still need to look at kind of the last, last month of store championship data to see, see where we're, where we are heading into regional season. But I think there's, there are a lot of fun deck types that are a competitive against each other, but also just they're fun to play and play against. Greg and I just played a, a great game right before this podcast and all the past, past several months I haven't had a lot of opportunity to play because I've been so busy with second edition, but every time someone has wanted to play a first edition game and I've taken out a deck, I've really enjoyed it and it's like this game is in, it's in, it's in pretty good shape. It's a lot of fun and I think kind of it'll be a game that I always keep decks together and from time to time pull them out and play with fond memories. So, I, you know, this is hearkening slightly back to the CCG days, but during the CCG days, we would have standard legal tournaments that included essentially like two or three um, years worth of cards, you know, like a, a, a summer release set at Gen Con and then the expansions. And then anything that was previous to that was considered, I think, classic at that time. Is that what we called it? Yeah, like classic the standard, and standard. standard and classic were the two. Um, Initially, there was some attempts to make the legacy and or classic format a, you know, a, I'm not going to say it was viable, but to, you know, I mean, we actually have an FAQ for legacy, I believe, at this point in time, which Whoa. is the CCG. Yeah, I was going to say it was just the last CCG FAQ, right? right? Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in forever. So I guess my question is this. It's, this is too long of a lead-in. But is there any sense to do any maintenance on 1.0? Or when 1.0 comes to an end, it's sort of a, we put a, we wrap a bow on it and say, it is what it is and just kind of set it aside. So. I think that's, a lot of that will just depend on the demand. Like if there's, if there's people playing it and an issue emerges where a FAC update is needed and people it, it seems like something that the player community wants and would value. I don't see any reason why we couldn't put that together. I don't I don't know if there are any plans or not to sanction any events beyond the end of the, the first edition. Like that's kind of outside of my field, but um, definitely as far as supporting it in terms of keeping the keeping the card pool in a good spot, that's something that doesn't take a lot of bandwidth and could be done. So Cool. I think during the CCG years, maybe we would see a small amount of play of the old cards that were no longer legal for the standard environment, but it generally didn't happen very much. I am interested to see what happens with the launch of 2.0 because, 
you know, the, because the LCG right now, 1.0, is still thriving, you know, to see what happens with the player base, you know, if people just continue playing that, you know. Uh, it's just one of those things I had my, you know, eyebrows raised to see, oh, what's going to happen here? I'm interested to see it. I, I admit I'm curious. Uh, I know there there have been a couple people posting about trying to go, put together kind of a players' council type thing to still kind of organize some events afterward, but I don't know if that ever really went anywhere. I don't know if everybody's just going to put together monstrous, you know, cube draft collections or what. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's kind of my personal plan, but... Yeah, and cube draft is a heck of a lot of fun if you it, haven't done it. It is, uh, as long as you get your cards back at the end. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Rings. I think I still have some of your CCG cards. <laughs> Okay, so a few more months left of our 1.0 cards. Nate, why don't you share maybe a favorite or two of yours from the existing 1.0 card pool? Ah, favorite card. So favorite card is kind of, it's a lot to me, like favorite book, favorite band, favorite movie, where it's going to change a lot depending on what I'm currently doing. and playing. have one final answer for favorite band. Um... <laughs> You're probably thinking Guns N' Roses. Yes. Yes. Even that, like, they, they come in and out of favor. Like, there's times where Dream Theater is my favorite band, and there's times where I'm really into Motley Crue, and times where it's, like, Megadeth or Iron Maiden. Like, different bands rotate in depending on my mood and what I'm what I'm really into at any given time. So, yeah, but probably more often than not, it's going to be Guns N' Roses, so you could default to them if you really wanted to. Um, So favorite card, uh, right now, the card that I'm kind of building decks with and playing the most and having a lot of fun with is Dark Wings, Dark Words. So a lot of props to Corey for his design. I think it's a really cool card that lets you do things very different than what you're normally going to do playing the game, and I've just had a lot of fun playing with that card. So, what a cop out! Choosing a card you didn't design. Yeah, I need to. Don't want to brag about my own cards. So. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think both of Corey's agendas have done a lot for opening up um, deck building design space, oh, so yeah, to speak. Totally. You know, and and you know, I'll I'll just pat myself on the back a little bit, and when I designed Nice Hall Hill, that was the same intention, was to open up deck design space so that decks that were using that agenda would look different and would use different cards, and, you know, and, and absolutely, Darkwing's Dark Words is the best way to do and House of Dreams both do that a lot. So. It's, it's no, no surprise that two of the game's best deck builders came up with some of the best deck building cards for the game, so... Yeah. That's a that's a cool way to look at that. I haven't quite put the two of those notions together in that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm gonna go ahead then and put you on the spot. So, what is your favorite card you've designed? I mean, that that doesn't necessarily have to be the same type of criteria as like card to card play with, really, but just something that like intellectually, like ah, that really really trips my trigger, and that was why I made it. Um. So my the favorite mechanic that I've designed was the shadow mechanic. Like there was for I don't know if it was just because it was early in my career that I have fond memories of it, but it was really kind of one of those things that it, the notion of King's Landing and how to explore it, and then wanting to do these surprise cards and just working through the different obstacles and finally coming to the shadows mechanic. As we know, it was it was one of my favorite mechanics. So I'm probably going to have to. 
just to represent that mechanic, choose a card. There's there's several shadow cards that I really like. I guess um, one that one that comes pretty easily to mind is Serial Pharrell. Um, so I guess I'll just go with him as a favorite card from a design perspective. He's pretty simple and straightforward. Um, you don't have to do a lot of thinking to when you read the card to see see how he works. But I think he he captures the character well. He captures the mechanic that he was trying to support well, the Shadows mechanic, and he's been relevant in the game for for quite a while. And both on kind of just a simple, straightforward level, but also as a means to leverage other Shadow effects. He's he's very useful. So or other battle effects. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's good that you brought up Shadows because I definitely want to prop Shadows here because I think it is. Far and away, my favorite mechanic that's ever been added to the game, CCG or LCG. I just, I don't know. It hits to me that perfect sweet spot between interesting mechanically from what it offers and that like awesome medley feel uh, of the game, which, you know, no, no real surprise. Not everything hits that mm-hmm. mark. Um, so I, I've always been really appreciative of, of how Shadows did that. Yeah, one thing, too, that kind of... It's made me appreciate Shadows even more. Like, I'm... There are a lot of things I love working on 2nd Edition, but I think the... Probably the one thing I miss the most is the Shadow mechanic, because it's what? not... It's not there. There's, there's no Shadows? Not in the core set. Oh, you wounded me, Nate. If, if if people miss it, they should definitely let us know. I, mean, I, can, I will email I you every a, week. I can do begging for shadows. At some point, you can do an Andy Dufresne. Do something similar. And just like chip away until... Okay. No, it's when he wanted the library in the prison, and every week he would send a letter oh, to, I forgot the, about uh, that. to the state to have them donate books to oh the prison. Oh my goodness, so. I should. I should. Are you talking yeah. about Shawshank Redemption? Yes. 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 Right. Only the greatest movie ever made. And obviously, I need to rewatch it. I thought that was Talladega Nights. <laughs> I mean, it's a phenomenal movie, and I still don't know what to do with my hands. But okay, so Nate just told us favorite mechanic and favorite parts, and yet yeah. the words "without his beard" did not come out of his mouth. I don't know what's happening right yeah, now. Yeah, well, that's because I hadn't yet asked him what card he most regrets. <laughs> In which case. We all know the well, answer, right? He need, I think maybe Nate should tell the real story behind Without His Beard, because what... Let, let the truth emerge. <laughs> <laughs> so Without His Beard was actually the original version, playtesters, and you guys may have even been in the playtest group. I don't remember because you've been in and out over the years. But So the original version of Without His Beard, you won the entry challenge and you discarded your opponent's entire hand, and then the hand replaced itself. And playtesters had a fit about it, and they were like, this is the most broken card ever. You guys cannot print this. It will ruin the game. It makes everything completely random. You can't plan anything with this card out there. So, and this was this was also, like, first edition. You were generally discarding 10, 11, 12 cards at a time with it. So it was, it was cutting through the deck fast and just took all, according to playtesters, took all type of long-term planning out of the game. So... The reduce the reduction from entire hand to three cards was a playtest development fix at the time that we made, kind of just listening and heeding the warnings that we were hearing, and we may have overreacted a little bit, but it definitely pushed a card that was very kind of exciting into a realm where people 
pretty much panned it. It got ripped up. Well, that's kind of what I'm and getting to. Is so one... Ripping it up was kind of what led me to become its champion. I started, <laughs> I started playing it in decks just because it got ripped up on two champs and a chunk. And anytime I beat someone with my Without His Beard deck, they, they had to hang their head in shame and go tell other people around the office, I just lost it Without His Beard. And it's kind of just become this, this thing where it's like, I like bad things such as Without His Beard and Coors Light and Cleveland Browns. So <laughs> I like bad things. I assume that was the impetus then to create the walk-in without his beard version. Of, uh, oh yeah, it was kind of yeah. We wanna we wanna revisit it and kind of give get, let people do the without his beard effect over and over. <laughs> I I do have to admit, especially with Nate here on the air, once you put that on a body and it's repeatable every turn, it's a much more powerful effect. Oh than yeah, it's a one shot event. Well, have you tried comboing the two together? <laughs> Who actually ripped up the card on the show? Was it Zyler or was it Daryl? Uh, it? it was Zyler's card okay. out of his chapter pack. I don't remember which one of us physically was tearing it up, though. It, it was probably Zyler since it was his chapter pack, but I'm not sure. To be fair, I believe that, that was during the review of that chapter pack. Yes, correct. It was. Yes. And two champs in a chump's history of being real accurate on rating of cards during reviews isn't extremely stellar. I'd give us a C (laughs) overall if I were to rate our chapter pack reviews. As long as they're not locations, in w- or for me in particular, in yes, which case right. it drops to about a D for me on locations. <laughs> but other, otherwise, we're all right. I just want to know, since I'm here and I can ask, was ripping it up on the air, was it pre-planned, or was it a spontaneous spur-of-the-moment inspiration? Uh, it, it was spur-of-the-moment. I, I couldn't really believe it happened afterwards, and I admit it, I put that episode out with some measure of trepidation. I, I thought, boy, this this could be bad. If I remember correctly, everyone started laughing so hard that we actually <laughs> had about a five to ten minute interlude because we had to recollect ourselves <laughs> because it was so spur of the moment and so funny because this was in your old apartment on the uh-huh. square at right. the top, right? And and uh, if I remember correctly, we're all sitting at the table and it happens and everyone just starts laughing so hard that... <laughs> Um, you probably cut out about ten minutes of recording on that one. Yeah, that was probably when I was when I was really starting to learn the lesson that uh, listeners didn't want to listen to us laugh like hyenas about in jokes <laughs> for you know twenty minutes of an hour long episode. <laughs> well, so. it does take me back to if I can go back and tell a story from yeah. my days as a player, um, the the ripping up here where. I'm not going to name any names in case he's out there, anyone who knows them is out there listening, but there was, in Black Swamp Games at Toledo, there was a rather unsavory character who played Game of Thrones, and I played out there frequently, and one point I saw him playing a... He was playing a young kid, about 9, 10 years old, and this kid places a rose road on the table that has all these brown smudges, and it's kind of wrinkled up in raggedy corners, and this this, char- this character picks up the kid's rose road. He's like, what is that? Grabs it, rips it in half, and the kid's mouth drops oh open. Oh, my goodness. And then this guy gets up, goes over to his collection, pulls out a nice rose road, and goes and gives it to the kid. So I don't know if it was... <laughs> He started off doing something just to be a mean-spirited jerk and then at the last minute saved himself or if that was his intent all along. But, like, just that moment of 
when he picked up the kid's card and ripped it in half, it was <laughs> it was one of the more shocking things I've seen at the game table. So. That's amazing. I I think I know who that was too. It was you may- Johnny McGuy, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that guy was a dick. That guy might actually be a drink on this there's, there, yeah. there's approximately one listener who still listens to this show that gets that particular in joke. He was a he was a dick IRL. Yeah, IRL. Yeah, on the board. Oh, though. he's he was a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know where to go after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just for clarification, um, Gen Con, um, excuse me, we still have regional season for first edition. Then we have Gen Con and Nationals, okay? And then we still have Worlds this year. So we still, yep. right now, this episode is going to be released um, beginning of April. So we've got a little, about, about seven months worth of first edition. Yep. And three more chapter packs. Yep, three more I, think, I think some good tournaments coming too. I think the metagame is in an interesting place, and we should see some some good decks at Gen Con, regionals, and worlds. So. Yeah. Thinking about those last three chapter packs, I, I gotta ask. You don't have to give me an exact spoiler or anything, but tell me, did 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 you slip just like one card into the very last chapter pack just to make everybody's jaw completely drop because you knew it was done? Um. Is it? Do we get to see your mic drop? No, I really didn't do any. I tried not. I tried to avoid the tendency to want to do some jump the shark type cards, where basically it would just kind of throw chaos into the game right at the end. Because I think the game, it is a great game, and there's a lot of people who love it, and it needs to go out with with a lot of respect. So um, I didn't do anything to kind of just intentionally go crazy. There are a couple. I don't know if they've even been if anyone's talked about them yet, but there are a couple kind of interesting conscious decisions that were made with that set as it approached its ending. Um, If you think back to the CCG, the second to last set ever printed was The End of Iron Thrones, which was House of Talons, and that's also the title of the second to last chapter pack in the cycle. And then the final chapter pack, The Blue is Calling, is a very kind of, I think as a title, it's a very fitting swan song for the first edition to go out with the blue is calling before so. it throws itself out of the sky <laughs> cell. Yep, yep. You know, throwing itself out the sky cell does not really reassure me about your statement about not throwing things out of whack at the end. Well, there is a sky cell coming up. I don't yeah, know if it's yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it has. All right, and it actually looked pretty cool. I, I like. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the sky cell both. Both this one and the version that was in first edition was a pretty cool card, and this one's kind of a throwback to. It was this, neutral. Yeah, right? you were allowed to kill the character. I think it did it reduce your draw. I think you drew one less card. Yeah, that sounds right. But you could kill the character to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was any time maybe during dominance. You can, I don't remember which yeah. phase you could kill the character. Been too long. Um, all right, so from the Swan Song of 1.0 to the genesis of 2.0, second edition. Um, we had Michael Hurley on uh, shortly after the announcement, and he shared a little bit from his perspective the decision to go to 2.0. So I thought maybe our listeners would enjoy listening to, from particularly the perspective of the lead designer, a little bit about that process to decide to move to a new edition and kind of what your feelings and emotions and thoughts were during that time? Um, in some ways, when Michael first approached me with the idea, which he had discussed as a possibility with Christian beforehand, um, when he brought it up to me, it was almost something that 
I had been thinking about kind of in the back of my mind, but wasn't almost didn't seem like it was a feasible possibility because this was right around the time when we were trying to work out rotation policies for all of our LCGs. And for some games, this was going to be easier, and for some, it was going to be most difficult. And for Game of Thrones, it was probably the most challenging because it was the longest-running game. It had the the card pool that was really designed without any thought that there would ever be a need for rotation, and the thought of all in one swoop cutting off kind of the front part of the game, there were there were a lot of just problems that that would make in that the the core set and the deluxe boxes and just the way the cards rolled out weren't designed with any with any real rotation in mind. So we would have we would basically just be cutting off a leg and then being like, okay, how are you going to stem the bleeding of what we just did to this card pool to keep the game interesting and appealing to people. And then there were also, there were a lot of other, like we, when we made the announcement to go to second edition, we talked about a lot of the kind of the, the legacy issues that first edition faced in terms of complexity and out of date templating and just kind of baggage that prevented new players from getting into it. Um, a core set that, wasn't the ideal entry point to the game. Um, things that things that we learned in developing our other core sets, how to make a core set that really gave people a good starting point and a good foundation on which to build. Um, so there were there were a lot of things that were going to be difficult for Game of Thrones. A lot of a lot of issues that Game of Thrones would have been hard pressed to overcome. That. I was I was kind of how are we going to do this and keep players interested and really what it the way it was brought to my to me was there's we can try to keep the game afloat as long as we can and it will probably gradually just by attrition lose players over the years or we can try a relaunch and what do you think about the two options was kind of the the way it was brought to me and it was nice to not it was nice to not have a mandate placed on me, but to be kind of invited into the discussion and give my perspective. And I think my and after after some consideration, my my reaction was this is the this is the best way to go, and I think we should do it. And I think once 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 I was able to communicate that that was how I felt, I think that brought some of the other people in the company around to it because they do trust my vision for the game. And once I was on board, I think it really solidified the idea in Michael and Christian's head that, yes, we should do this. And we kind of started devoting a lot of lot of time and energy and manpower towards making it a reality. Was there any initial sadness for you, knowing how much time and effort you'd spent on the LCG and, and all the process you went through when the game didn't relaunch as an LCG, was there any sense of, oh my goodness, this has really been my baby and, you know, or in some way more exciting to be like, oh, I can change this thing. <laughs> it, was, change. it was bittersweet. Like there's definitely, and there's still, even now, like I was just saying, there's still a lot of things about first edition that I love. And there's kind of like this, this sense of like, this is, this this game experience at at its core is worth preserving and keeping out there, and we want to build back to a a rich card pool with a lot of a lot of different deck types and a lot of kind of 
turn-by-turn strategic moments of, oh, should I do this or this, and every decision matters. So it's kind of, it's definitely something to something to build towards and aim towards achieving and even eclipsing with the new edition. Just just for clarity's sake, we are still on, um, at least it looks like we're still on the path to having this released at Gen Con this year, second edition. Yeah, I can't really go too much into timelines because it's kind of it's past the point where it's in my control as to right. what happens. But yeah, the the plan is for a Gen Con release. Gosh, I hope yeah. you guys bring about eight thousand corsets. <laughs> oh yeah, it's good. It's gonna have to be huge. I mean, you're buying seven thousand of them. Yeah, <laughs> using our press pass to get in early, get yep. in line, and and buy all seven thousand. No, but I mean, what we've had. Or we, you guys have had. I just have been attending Gen Con when three LCGs have launched a Gen Con. I think um, Invasion, um, Night Runner, and Conquest. Lord of the Rings. Did Lord of the Rings launch a Gen Con too? Um, no, it demoed a Gen Con and yeah. launched shortly thereafter. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. But I mean, the, those three that I remember launching, like, yep. all sold out the advanced copies like that. Yep. Well, Netrunner was the one I remember being like the choke point because there was a launch tournament where there wasn't enough core sets for everyone that had entered the tournament or something like that. I don't remember all the specific yeah, details. Yeah, like yeah, and they did correct that with Conquest where they right. did the pre-reg. They reserved one for everybody who was registered for that tournament. So, yeah, so. If, you, if you really want to make sure you get a set, register for the second edition tournament at Gen Con. Yeah, I'm going to have to keep my eyes peeled. The instant events uh, go live. When did they yeah. go live? <laughs> it's it's got to be soon, right? Um, I I'm out of the loop of yeah. the Gen Con planning. Yeah. I hope that I hope that they bring enough to Gen Con that people get the people who really want them are able to get one. But I'm also really hoping that we sell out. So yeah, you know, thinking about bringing stuff uh, and whatnot. This is probably outside of your realm, but I don't know if you have any knowledge you can impart on it because right. we saw some stuff mentioned from Gamma. You know some. Uh, some of the slides there and stuff folks mm-hmm. sent out. There's demo decks coming out again? Um, I I would imagine so, but I don't know for sure what the marketing plan is okay. or yeah. what the timeline for that okay. is. But I would, it would surprise me greatly if there weren't. And, yeah, I think there should be. So I'm excited about anything that. Anything I can do to we had, make like, demo decks happen, I, I'll be happy to do so. Yeah, we haven't had demo decks for the game since the CCG days. So when I saw that on the side, I was yep. pretty pumped. Yep. Well, there are Conquest demo decks out there. Oh, there we are? Did it, we did so last year. I so didn't even realize kind of that. Just, I think part of the, part of the new how we market these games. So. Cool. Um, I realize we can't get into a lot of specifics about second edition yet because your company, Fantasy Flight Games, hasn't really entered their hardcore marketing and spoiler part Big, of... Biggest ever for an LCG, if so I'm told by the Gamma presentation. What can you share about maybe some of the similarities, maybe some of the core mechanics that that players who love first edition are still going to get to experience with second edition? Um, so core mechanics, let's see, the, the plot mechanic is pretty much identical. There, there is now the reserve value, but the, the basic idea of you have a, you have a seven card plot deck that 
marks your income and your initiative and your claim for each round, and you're going to select one each round, move fo- move forward through the game. That's that's kind of the heart of the second edition and first edition. That's just what Game of Thrones is. The challenges are also identical: military intrigue and power. Uh, we're not getting um, a fourth challenge. No, I was <laughs> really hoping that the way the back of the box was worded. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I wanted a betrayal challenge. <laughs> well, it maybe, sounded awesome. Maybe it's something that we can come up with down the road. I'll, Please do. I'll try to think of how betrayal works. Um, but. Yeah, those are those are I think those are like kind of the two the two major points. Um, the card types, for most purposes, are the same, although there's a change on attachments that's already been been spoiled, where they bounce back to your hand if the card they're attached to leads play. Which that mechanic has been very popular in play testing, and people like the way it it makes the card type much more relevant than it was in first edition, and kind of really helps. All cards have their own unique place in the in the card pool. Um, is there anything else that you're kind of thinking of that you? No, I mean I think that that's a good answer. You know, um, just there's anytime you have something like this, there and we talked about this with Michael. There's just going to be people that are upset. There's going to be people that are complaining. They're like, I bought all these cards, you know. And I think one of the ways to ease their concerns is that this game they love is still going to be the game they love, okay? That, um, and the notion of cards no longer being tournament legal, well, eventually something was going to have to happen anyways, whether it was a strict rotation and we did what you said, which is chop off a leg and try and staunch the bleeding. There were cards that we all owned that were no longer going to be legal for tournaments. So the notion of I can no longer play with these cards I bought is, while I understand it's real feelings that people have, you know, it's it's not something that I think was going to be uh, a deal breaker in people continuing to play the game, you know. But I think for people that love the game, it's important to know it's still going to be the game they love is kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And it's also, it's part of it is that it's still going to be the game that people love and eight, nine, ten years from now when we're doing the, I don't even know where you'll be then, the thousandth episode of... And we'll be going into third edition. But we still want we still want the game to be around and relevant then, so this is, this was very much a decision made for the long term. Like, had we done nothing, people, you could make that claim of, well, if they don't, if they don't reset it and they don't do rotation, then none of my cards will ever rotate and I would be completely happy. Might be someone's perspective but the the final element that you need to have cards that you can still play with is having other people to play against and part of why decisions like this are also made is to bring bring players into the game and also to to, to ensure that there will be that audience and that you can come to Gen Con or Worlds or to your store championship and have opponents who are also invested in the game both Financially and emotionally, and they want to they want to play it. So it's, to keep the game relevant is really why the change was made. You mentioned playtesting a minute ago that the attachment change was really popular, with folks. And yep. I think we've heard kind of through the grapevine that this was the biggest playtest group that any of the LCGs has had so far, right? Yes, yes. This was this was a huge playtest group. I did kind of an open invitation at Worlds to see just to try to get a feel for who was interested and what types of players were going to be interested and just to kind of open it up and 
if people were there and wanted to participate just to come talk to me and it turned out that, that was probably a little bit of a mistake on my part because I I was kind of curious what that did to I, the dynamic. Yeah, I bit off way more than I could effectively really manage in like the last from worlds until like till we wrapped up the session at the end of February was really just probably the three of the more intense periods where every every morning I would come in and have almost a hundred different playtest reports to read from various groups and then it was trying to trying to wade through this mountain of data and different different people's perspectives of cards they liked and cards they disliked and people on one group were arguing about something and people on another group hated it and people on this other group loved it and it was trying to sort through a lot of a lot of feedback but I think it it was a it was good to have that many people but it was also just it was very it, it was just very intense, and there is, I think, an upper limit to the number of playtesters that where you stop you stop getting useful information, and the information just kind of becomes a a, a mass of stuff that you can't really effectively process, process. And you almost had I almost had to at one point just kind of identify in each groups the the playtesters who were doing the best work and actually putting in putting in the time and you could tell from their reports that they were playing games and reporting them well and really focus on kind of the the stars of the the hundreds of people that we had signed up for playtesting. Well, and speaking of all that data, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you're trying to, to sort through and kind of register all that, I mean, do you go so far as, like, setting up a spreadsheet and, like, tallying you know, who's reporting X, Y, or Z on different cards, or do you just kind of need to... There was a little of both. Like there, were, there were some things that, like, we were, like, I, I like to do surveys a lot in playtests where, like, I'll put out some questions and ask people to identify their favorite cards and their least favorite cards or the strongest factions and those the, the weakest factions. And generally the, the surveys that I do are... I can turn those into specific data points where it's like this percentage of the group thinks that Stark is the strongest. This percentage thinks that Lannister is the strongest. This percentage thinks that Stark is the weakest. And you can kind of get those, get that kind of data where you, you're just dealing with the numbers as far as like what people, what people like and dislike or which mechanics they're having fun with and which ones are kind of bothered by whether they think there's too much income or not enough income. Like there's there's different topics that kind of emerged as discussion points in the set. Are reserve values too high or too low? Like there were there were thing there were a lot of things in the set where people had differing opinions and it was kind of one of those one of those places where those I'd be more inclined to not treat every opinion as equally valid. It's more which which opinions are actually getting to the truth of these questions and which ones are just talking because they haven't seen the full picture yet. And that's kind of those type of issues I think are where you need to make more of a more of an informed decision based on the, the feedback that's coming in. Cool. Um well you mentioned, you know, gold and, and different things. You know, we've we've seen in the spoiler articles that uh the the curve is gonna be kind of expanded for some more granularity. We saw in the back of the box art that uh, came out of Gamma that uh, Robert's going to cost seven gold. And Mm -hmm. another character that I will neither ask you to confirm or deny, but I think everyone seems 
pretty certain is the Queen of Thorns based on the art is also seven cost. I mean, I'm kind of curious. Can you tell us any about what kind of what kind of thought goes into expanding that granularity? Are there any difficulties or benefits that arise out of that? Um, there's both difficulties and benefits. The difficulty is that it does give us a completely new economy that we're we're trying to solve and figure out. How does this economy work? How does it affect the game? What does it do to setups? And um, like there, there is more gold so available still set. on the setup. Yes, there is still a setup. There's more gold available to at this for the setup stage, and but the cart the cost curve has also increased, and there's more gold available to plots. Um, one thing that I think it does is it does make plot choice like you have to you have to factor gold and how much gold a plot provides more into your decision when building a plot deck than you did in first edition, which it's it's a point that different people are going to have different feelings about, but I think having having more factors to consider when building a plot deck makes the process of building that deck more interesting. So in that regard, I've, I've liked the, the effect there. Um, there are... It does, for designing cards, it gives you more ability as a designer to differentiate between the the power cards and the weaker cards. Like, zeros and ones are weaker in terms of what they can, what they can have and do, and twos and threes are slightly above that. Like, you just have a better, more range, I guess, more of a palette of different colors to paint abilities in than you did with a zero to five cost curve. Um, the downside is though that like it it's as cards increase in cost they become increasingly riskier to play, so there it's something that has to be watched carefully. Um, removal effects initially were overpowered in in the in the core set and we had to scale back because we're we're working with a different paradigm of how control effects relate to the characters that they're going to be controlled. And I think a lot of this, too, is kind of one thing that needs to be kept in mind is that the core set is a starting point. It's not the end result. So people are people are going to be starting with the core set, but it's the point of departure, and we're going to be exploring this economy for the next 10 years, and it's going to go through a lot of different places, and hopefully we can, we can move a journey where... There's times when the economy is one of abundance, where there's lots of gold and lots of effects that can help put stuff into play and build things, and it can be like a summer season. And yeah, I just you can, you can go through that. But then at the, there, there'll probably be times too where we want to push the environment more, where these control effects are favored, and people have to narrow their scope, and some of the some of the bigger cards become a little more difficult or challenging to play. And as long as we can swing back and forth between the two the, the two ends of the spectrum, I think that the economy can, can sort itself out over time. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool the way you mentioned some of the, the lower cost stuff uh, and what they are capable of versus that higher cost stuff. So I hadn't really thought about it before. Like you could use that to kind of stratify um, characters in Thrones uh, and other LCGs potentially. Mm-hmm. The same way another game, like say Magic, does by rarity, where there mm-hmm. there is a, a fairly solid difference in what a common can do versus yes. a rare. And when you don't have that in Thrones, I hadn't really thought about the cost being able to do that. Yeah, now. I think it's more. Yeah, it's just kind of that. Like 
once there's once there's cards like Carrion Bird in the environment, then it kind of sets the bar at a at a place where it's really hard to do one cost characters yeah. that you can that can compete with that and basically it's it just gives us and you're also when when your one cost is closed and you're only going up to five cost, you're you've really cut out a big a, a big percentage of your field. So by being able to extend that more and set the bar on the ones lower in second edition than we would have in first edition, it also opens up the possibilities for the two, three, four, five range that you didn't have before. Cool. Well, I kind of monopolized the last couple of questions here. I don't know if, if Greg had uh, had anything else. Not at the moment. Okay. I mean, I I did have one more just out of things we've already heard some about sure. that I'm I'm kind of curious. Basically, the same question in regards to reserve. You know, like what kind of of opportunities did that addition bring to the game, or difficulties that needed to be kind of worked out? Yeah, I mean, I guess what we were told was reserve is um, in the spoiler article is the replacement for the draw cap. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I think that replacement for the draw cap is an oversimplification because it it kind of suggests that it's supposed to do exactly what the draw cap does, which isn't the case. If we wanted something to do exactly what the draw cap did, we would have just kept the draw cap. So, really, what the reserve is, it's a check against what happened. If this is, we can go all the way back to the CCG before there was a draw cap, when basically the best strategy was to draw your entire deck as quickly as possible. Promo and King's yes, there was a promo King's Landing. Um, there were there were a lot of just kind of very abusive draw possibilities. Um, I've talked about my game with Casey at the first Gen Con where I drew 30 cards on turn one, 30 cards on turn two, and then. Later on turn two, he played a hedge on spikes and discarded the rest of my deck. So, well, yeah, it was, it was, I drew like 15 and 15 and then I had 30 cards left and he discarded the rest. So it was, it was a, it was a game where between the draw effects and the mass discard effects, my deck was empty on the second turn. And that was, it was kind of that race. Like I want to get cards in my hand as fast as possible and I'll just hold them because that's the safest place for them. And the draw cap was kind of put on to stop that style of play because the, the unknown information is part of, part of what makes the game interesting and having that draw be important. So the reserve puts an upper limit on how much of an advantage you can create by moving cards to your hand quickly. Um, draw is still supposed to be an important mechanic. It's a fundamental part of the game, and it's just you have to factor it differently now where you have to balance it against your economy in terms of, I don't want to draw too many more cards than I can play each round or I'm going to be sacrificing to my reserves. So you kind of you have to marry your draw to your economy a little better instead of treating it as its own thing. You know, you mentioned draw as a as a strength did make me think of something else. I'm I'm sure you can't really break down the the various strengths for the different uh, factions, but I remember when extra houses were added to the CCG. We got design articles at the time about you know kind of trying to carve out mm-hmm. room in the mechanics of the game to have themes for at that point Greyjoy then Targaryen then Martell was it difficult to find room to carve out for two more factions on top of six already 
A little bit, but part of that is, um, I don't think it, it wasn't super difficult because the factions do have, they do have some fundamental things about them in the novels that translated really well to the, to the CC, to the LCG, and, um, there, the game is rich enough that there is enough space that each faction does have its own, its own unique feel to it, and it's also, even mechanics that multiple factions have, you can, factions, one faction might be good at intrigue in one way, where another faction might be good at the intrigue challenge in another way, or they're, they're using one, their strengths towards different ends is, like there, there is kind of, there's different ways that a single mechanic can be, can be split and handed to factions and kind of shared between them, where it's the same mechanic at, a base level, but it functions differently in the context of different factions. So I think the game is the game is rich enough that you can you can really it can support eight factions. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been to Gen Con in I haven't been the last two years, and this year I'm planning on going and this is the primary reason. It's gonna be Big, big draw. I'm going to have to get my lazy butt out of bed pretty early <laughs> on uh, Thursday to go get... Camp out outside the hall. I, it, I'm considering it. I just had to camp out for an hour and a half to go see Stephen Amell at Planet Comic Con, <laughs> so if I'm willing to do that, surely I can get up for second edition. Well, I mean, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, Nate. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of pigeonholed, I know we're, we're kind of limited on what else we can bug you uh, about till the official spoilers start so yeah I just like there look are, forward there to are that. plans and um, it'll just be a matter of talking to the marketing guys of how they want to roll things out but as Michael did say we can give you guys some exclusive content to discuss on air and we'll be Sweet. following up with that as soon as we get the clearance from marketing yeah I look forward to it that'll be <laughs> freaking exciting man. Yep. all right non thrones question Nate who's your pick to win the NCAA tournament um, I picked to win the tournament was actually Kentucky, and I did it mostly because I'd really like to see them lose, but I just don't see it happening. So I went with them in my bracket. And uh, if they don't win, who are you rooting for? Um, at this point, I think I'd like to see Wichita State win it. Um, just they have a they have an experienced team, and they played a great game against Kansas, and I'd like to just see how far they can go. For our listeners. At the time of us recording this episode, we are um, prior to any Sweet 16 games. So yep. Sweet 16 teams have been determined, but none of those games have been played yet. So just in case our listeners listen and they're like, wait, you know, yeah. based on what Nate just said, it doesn't make any sense. So yep. that's right. where we're at. Yep, and I'm, I'm really excited because Will is actually going to come out and watch basketball with us tonight. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's, it's my favorite. Yeah, Will, what kind of ball do they use in basketball? Uh, <laughs> it's the it's those oblong ones, right? They're brown and yeah. No, actually, I feel I feel a little decent uh, about that because I only barely pay attention. But if you'd made me uh, answer that question, I would have also said Kentucky. Uh, so ching, somebody that pays attention. Yeah, same. In picking same Kentucky way. this year is kind of like picking Bruno to win Gen Con. It's just kind of the just the smart decision. Yeah. yeah, he chooses Bruno, and I'm sitting right across the table from him. Yeah, uh, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Right? <laughs> Ouch. 
Sorry, Greg. <laughs> I would have said you if Bruno was sitting over there. <laughs> I just can't make people feel good about themselves. Hence, <laughs> without his beard. Yep. Yeah. All right, ladies and gents, the phrase that pays is Blood Raven. Hey guys, I wanted to welcome you to a special segment of episode 200 that I've been wanting to put together for a while now. I wanted to make sure that we got some uh, community involvement, get the chance uh, to get at least a little bit on here from folks that, that maybe are not on here often or from metas that you don't really hear from uh, that much. I know some are, some are listeners, some are content producers of their own, uh, some have other games as their main game. Uh, wanted to try and get a breadth of participation on this, and I have to say I think I'm pretty happy in the end uh, with the feedback we got on it. So uh, it's kind of free form here. The general idea that I gave each uh, producer, so to speak, is that I wanted to hear uh, a little bit of a retrospective on first edition, what they did or didn't like, what they are or are not looking forward to in second edition, uh, and just kind of get that, that look back and that look forward from everyone. And I think first, we're going to go ahead and lead off with a group uh, that I inadvertently maligned on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, so to speak. Uh, that would be our fellow Thrones players in the great country of Kuwait, uh, who do have a regional this year, had one last year, and I inadvertently uh, assumed them to be uh, involved in U.S. military base or the like. Uh, thankfully, a member of their group was kind enough to get a hold of us on Facebook and correct that misconception. So we're going to let them kick things off to tell you a little bit more about uh, their meta and uh, how things have gone with first edition on into second. Hi, listeners. Uh, we were given some time by Will and and uh, Greg and all the people at Two Champs and One Chump to talk about our local meta in Kuwait. And uh, we, uh, we have a shop in Kuwait called Good Game, and I'm the owner of the shop, and uh, my name is Zaid Al-Khalid. And uh, we're here to talk about our meta, what we like about Game of Thrones, why we love the game, uh, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, my name again is Zaid Al-Khalid, and my favorite house is... Baratheon and Marta. And uh, uh, my name is Hammond. Uh, my favorite house Targaryen, but I usually play uh, most of the houses, but it's house Targaryen mostly. Uh, I've been playing for only one year. And my name is Abdul Mohsen, and uh, my favorite house card is the Martell and also Baratheon. Uh, Lannister occasionally I've been starting to play <laughs> uh, to like them now and I've been playing for almost one year now uh, I'm Roger um, play for about two years now uh, started with Greyjoy but started to get more and more into Martell when I found out how annoying they could be and that's what I like to do as annoyed with the player I think <laughs> yeah Martell and Lannister are definitely two of the most popular houses we have um, I've been playing for five years. I, I didn't mention uh, mention that, and I would play Baratheon more often if they could win. <laughs> but they only recently started to win. They were good for a while. Yeah, they, they recently they got amazing cards, and they, they they were very their rush was actually working. Yeah. 
So uh, now that the game is transitioning into a new edition, uh, we wanted to talk about um, what we like about the current edition and we ho- what we hope to see in the new one and what we're not going to miss, hopefully, if they, if they remove uh, it from the game currently. So one of the things that I was, uh, I was hoping that they would keep is how deadly the game is. It's very similar to the books and the show where you know anything you put down, you can't get too attached to it because it's going to go away. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that about the game. It's amazing. Um, I actually uh, like the cool mechanics of the game. For example, the shadow mechanics. Mm. I really love shadow mechanics. Yeah. The specific keywords... Ambush, vengeful, and those stuff being yeah. specific for each house. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. actually the good, the good keywords. Yeah. Yes, the good keywords. <laughs> I hope they uh, you know get rid of something like stalwart. And then family also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ho- if they they have to make sure that they do s- strong keywords if they're gonna do house specific ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's just the strength of the game, though the fact that they kept adding those mechanics like mm-hmm. shadows arrived, then we had the naval icons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else do we miss? There's any other different ones? No, that's it. And I'm really disappointed that uh, the only enhancement they made is only the naval enhancement. They, mm. could, they, could, they could add more enhancements. Yeah. yeah. The, the way they introduced the enhancement system, that, that they, I thought that they will introduce more enhancements. Yeah. But the only the only thing they did, the FFG, that was uh, only punishing made, you with prized. With prized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually liked prized because for me, a game like F, like an LCG, you can't uh, introduce powerful new cards easily. It's like a power creep, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you if you introduce, if you say like, okay, we're going to introduce powerful new cards, but we're going to give them built-in uh, handicaps. That way they can push the power level. <clears throat> but at the same time, then they give you something like Daenerys, which is the most annoying thing ever, <laughs> that you, and then you just want to kill it. Yeah. You know? I, I always felt prize, though, never really... I never felt I ever got punished too much for playing a prize mm. card because, like, you played someone like Daenerys with two prizes. Yeah, you still, you know, her ability was able to overcome that shortcoming, even if she was, even if she was killed. Yeah, you could still bring her back in and still use her again to to win a game. I don't know. I, I thought it was a nice mechanic to bring in. At the beginning, I thought, oh, here's this. You're going to lose most games now by just giving yeah. up too much prize. But mm-hmm. I don't think it ever costs too many people a game if you get the no, balance yeah. right. Yeah, if you don't put too many. Maybe that's what it's there for. Yeah. Don't put all a deck entirely filled yeah. with prize. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. select. It's like a, a different kind of restrictor. Although there are some cards that, you know, uh, encourage you to put more prize. Like the, like, like the wardens, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the attachments, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and they and they are some of them have price three, so they're mm-hmm. dangerous to yes. put in your and deck. The, as there well. are some certain cards that search price cards yeah. from the deck, yeah. 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 so oh, there you have it. Yeah. Um, one one of the things that I really loved about the game that I, that I hope they and they can't get rid of this because Game of Thrones. One of the things that makes it amazing is how flavorful it is. Yeah. And I love the flavor of all the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, military challenges kills another person's character. Intrigue, you're stripping away cards from their hands so that you're ruining their future plans. So I hope they keep that kind of flavor deep in the game. Mm. Um, uh, Rather than just two characters with higher strength bashing yeah. each other, removing. Yeah, exactly. like magic style. Yeah, you have yeah, a, yeah. A, an elephant and a dragon. Mm. They, they mean nothing. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Other than the stats. Definitely. Um, I really like the the depth of the cards. Uh, you know, I started only two years ago, so we already had a couple of years behind. And I think nowadays I, I don't introduce my new friends to it. Not my new friends, my friend, <laughs> my old friends to the new to the game because it's just 
it's too deep, and I suppose it's one of the main reasons, obviously, they're reintroducing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So while I think most of us here would agree that's kind of a good thing yeah. and a bad thing, yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of us are looking forward to the new version and felt a bit disappointed when they decided to recycle it out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you play one of the new LCGs like Conquest, you feel it. Like you, you build a deck, there's 55 cards. Mm. And you're used to building a deck, there's a 300 cards or mm-hmm. more, 700 yeah. cards. But so the cards probably make yeah. a difference. Yeah, a lot. Always, yeah, yeah. Just a different variety of mm-hmm. decks you could build. Um, one thing I, uh, that, I, that I don't want to see in the new game, uh, or, or ha- hope they, they remove the prevalence of it, is the, um, how saturated a specific unique character can be. Like, it's been talked about a lot on the show already, but uh, something like uh, Brain of Tarth or uh, Robert Baratheon, where you have five co- options of Robert alone, mm-hmm. it makes it so that you can't pick uh, the other one. Uh, it makes sense if they completely counteract one another, mm-hmm. but otherwise it's just uh, an arbitrary deck-building uh, restrictions. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely, I agree. Uh, also, the same thing with, you know, uh, maybe they create uh, multiple versions of a certain character to uh, encourage uh, building a different type of decks. But uh, when you look at the effects of, uh, of, of these cards, and maybe and also the stats, there are some cards that you know you don't even look at them yeah. because they are so shitty and mm-hmm. they and and uh, they are not playable at all. Yeah. So you have the red, the, yeah. yeah, you have the red viper basically who. There's no reason you know, to play anything else. I don't else. think I've yeah. even looked at his other versions, yeah. to be mm-hmm. honest, because there's mm-hmm. no reason to play There's one version, though, that I look at, the, the one that, you know, uh, works well with House Dane. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, you know, brewing some... <laughs> <laughs> okay, some something for the future. Actually, something for the future. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see how this one yeah. goes. Okay. I actually hate cancels. <laughs> God, I hate cancels. Yeah. I, I hate building a deck with three Hallam Halls to begin with. Yeah. I, did, I did not choose a house as of yet, but I'm building a new deck, so I have to fit in three Hallam Halls, mm. three Paper Shields, mm. one Royal Decree, mm. just just to cancel those events mm. and those an, uh, annoying cancels. So yeah. I, I put cancels to cancel the cancels. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. so, I mean, uh, yeah. it takes up a lot of your deck, yeah. To some extent, yeah. 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 On top of that, the, the the blanking aspect of it as well. I mean, we talked about this already, but yeah, things like nightmares. I haven't put a lot of nightmares in all these decks. Uh, Mirror read, obviously, mm. lots of black. I just don't like the idea of some you know putting an effort in to put some great cards in, and you can just turn around and go, no, they're not working this round. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, I'm uh, I'm okay with blanking and cancelling, but uh, but as long as they are for a, a certain duration, yeah, mm. not f- like frozen solid. As long as it's attached, it, it's forever uh, gone. It, yeah, it's blanked forever. Yeah. unless you remove it, because uh, most decks. You do not, you know, put it because I want some effects that to, uh, that removes attachments. Or, yeah. or you don't always think about that. You don't speaking of attachments, that's one of the things that I hope they they, they improve, uh, making attachments more attractive. Don't make them so punished. Mm-hmm. You know, something something like that, so that the whole card type is not ignored when you open a new chapter pack, and you look at an attachment it has to be so amazing, otherwise you're just gonna keep it in that box forever mm-hmm. or in your binder yeah. for forever. Like, like other LCGs now are starting to do, they have no dead cards in your hand. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're yeah. not looking at multiple uses. Going, exactly, yeah. exactly. You don't have a character down. That's okay. This attachment, you don't need it on a character. It mm-hmm. can be used in another way. Yeah, somehow. like shields and conquests. Yeah, exactly. 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 Um, 
I was another one that I think we all agree on, especially since you brought up the point of how many cancels you need to fill up your deck, yeah. or you, you have to come up with a reason not to play nightmares or cancels, but uh, draw engines. Yeah, you have to build a deck. <clears throat> choosing your draw engine just it's just as critical as choosing your house card. Mm-hmm. So they need to make it so that draw is. Uh, I would hope that they make draw not as. Uh, yeah. As, as critical in the form of an engine. Mm-hmm. I think the new plot cards, or uh, the new uh, yeah. introduction of the new system of the plot cards actually solves this problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, reserve, the reserve the reserve, value? Yeah, the reserve value. Yeah. Uh, because uh, in, our, in the first edition, there's the, the draw cap, which we uh, all are bind to, and uh, there are some things that Okay, the introduction of new cards like the new uh, clansman that ignores the drop cup. Yeah, this is this is actually insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like Very they're just sort of taking the wheels off or the training wheels off at this point. Yeah, yeah. And said, right, we'll throw in whatever, whatever we can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do it as much bonkers cards as you possibly want, and we'll see what. They're happens. like saying, "There's no new fag. Just <laughs> go all out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unrestrict everything for the last three months and see what happens." <laughs> yeah. yeah, bring back the neutral house as well. That's what I'd like to see. They want us to hit the game so we can go for the second edition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, singing, so one last topic to talk about before we uh, before we end. Um, what uh, what stuff did you get out of the game itself, uh, the LCG, that don't have anything to do with the actual game and its gameplay? For me, for instance, uh, I met a lot of genuine new friends that I would never have met. Uh, there would be no instance that I would have met these people if I didn't play Game of Thrones and meet them in a tournament or teach them how to build a deck or something like that, mm-hmm. that only would have happened from this game and it's enriched my life in that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that because me moving to Kuwait here, um, I would never have met any of you guys and, uh, you know, at least 20, 30 other guys without the Game of Thrones game. Don't go much on us now, Roger. Yeah. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. just, I feel like Without without that game, I would never have probably had the same experience while living in Kuwait here. Definitely mm. not. Well, I have to agree with you guys. Uh, the community itself is so you know uh, fun and uh, healthy. Uh, playing this game also introdu- uh, make me, made me you know uh, compare it with other card games. This is the my uh, this is uh, the. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. This is what your first. Okay. No. Uh, this is uh, uh, this game is uh, I consider it as the you know the base that I compare uh, other cards. other other card games to. Yeah. Uh, you know I, when uh, Conquest into was introduced, uh, I, I I immediately uh, looked to, uh, through the similarities and differences between uh, between Conquest and the Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many things that you know. Uh, I think Game of Thrones. I, I don't know which one is, is older, Call of Cthulhu or Game of Thrones. 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 Yeah. Uh, they, then Cthulhu took many, many uh, elements from Thrones, mm-hmm. and maybe put it in a better way. But also, I think Conquest took from both mm-hmm. and put made it even better. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. This is what I actually love the intensity of the game. Mm-hmm. Playing for a single hour, looking at his icon, mm-hmm. uh, counting strength, and then uh, getting shaky. And uh, this whole <laughs> tournament thing yeah. is so engaging yeah. to the point when the tournament is over, I go home and I 
I just want to sleep. <laughs> I've spent every single uh, liter of uh, energy that I had on that tournament. Mm. Uh, it engages people in uh, in a really, really challenging uh, yeah. way, which is something uh, I did not experience in video games or other type mm. of games. Mm. This game is amazing. You can see how much it matters to because I know yeah. myself when I lose first round in Swiss to Zaid every single tournament. <laughs> <laughs> crushes the spirit. It just yeah. crushes my spirit. That's why it's called the golden game that matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, hopefully we have a, a couple more months or maybe a year or more of this game and uh, the next. Hello, everyone. I'm Steven from Atlanta, Georgia, but you probably know me as Scantrell24. I started playing Thrones a few years ago, and since then I've enjoyed not only playing the game, but also becoming involved with this community. I stream my Octagon games on YouTube, and I contribute to the Chapter Pack review articles on Card Game DB. If you're on AGOT cards, you've probably seen some of my decks, because I publish everything I build to foster discussion and provide templates for various archetypes. Playing against people from so many different parts of the world, whether online or at regionals and worlds, has been a ton of fun. This community is definitely the most supportive of any card game that I've ever played. With the reboot to second edition, I'm looking forward to growing our meta here in the Atlanta suburbs and getting more of my friends into the game. I'll definitely continue streaming games, writing articles, and recruiting new players for the only game that matters. And if they've tweaked the rules a bit, I might even try Melee occasionally. I'd like to congratulate Kenan and everyone else involved with 2C1C on their 200th episode. It's quite an accomplishment, and I always look forward to the, listening to the podcast every Friday morning. Thanks for having me on the cast. Hi, Dan Struhal with the New York Meta. And the three things on my list would have to be Moribund Rules, the dual resource curve with Influence, and playing against Martel before the restricted list. My favorite things in the world. Hello, my name is Caleb, and I've been playing Game of Thrones for about four years now. There are a lot of things that I really enjoyed about the first edition of Game of Thrones, including the complexity of the game itself. While the rules tended to have some gray areas, they were relatively simple once you got the hang of them. However, the strategy involved in playing the game was incredibly complicated, and that is what I felt made it a AAA title. There were six factions, all with drastically different playstyles, and all were viable even in a competitive format. I mostly played Greyjoy and Martell, and really enjoyed their styles of play, especially Martell's revenge-type mechanic of choosing necessary sacrifices to kind of, like, win the war, as well as Greyjoy's discarding from the deck for various effects while having an extremely aggressive board presence. Unlike many other games, there were very few cards that I felt would just, like, never see play, even with such a large card pool, which really made the investment a little bit easier. I'm really looking forward to the new templates of 2nd Edition, as well as the new artwork. I'm really interested to see how the houses stack up, the new ones especially, as well as sort of the new effects and keywords that will come into play. Aside from that, I'm not really sure, but it will be interesting to see how it turns out. Hey guys, this is Steven with Team Covenant, and unlike the CCG era folks, many of whom are on this podcast, I did not get to play the collectible version of this game. So my favorite thing about First Edition is the thing that got me interested in Thrones in the first place, and that is the feeling that it creates whenever you're playing. There is no game that creates this visceral real feeling of wanting to crush your opponent into the ground. There just isn't. I have, I've played a lot of games, and when I play Game of Thrones, even if I think it's going to be a nice, casual game, by the end of it, I am just 
angry and I'm wanting to, uh, you know, do everything that I can to make sure my opponent does not win. And not only that they don't win, but that I win as big as possible. And I think that's something really strong that the game does. It speaks to the source material and it plays into the theme of Game of Thrones so well. So as far as second edition is concerned, I am super excited about this set. And the reason I am is because I believe that second edition can do one thing really well. And if it does that thing, this game will be without a doubt one of the best games in the world. And that is getting the rules out of the way. We have some weird timing structures. We have some weird interactions in first edition. Moribund is a problem, the way that attachments and certain things resolve. I think if all of that gets cleaned up in second edition and nothing else happens, it's a complete all-star. Hi, I'm Wedge from the UK, and I've been playing the game for just in two years. My favorite things about the game are the people and the tournaments. I've met so many great people, enjoy playing Thrones with them so much that it makes it totally worth traveling across the country and Europe to see them and have a game. My favourite memory is the team event at Starlet last year, as the support we got from the other British players made for an amazing atmosphere there. For second edition, I'm most looking forward to the new people who get to join in the game. The people I currently play with can all start from the same point. Oh, and the podcasts. Did I mention how great podcasts are? Hi, I'm Alex, or Istril on the boards, also the host of that other podcast, and when Ken asked me what my favorite thing about Game of Thrones 1.0 is, I, I really have to give the trite answer of the community. I've loved Black Sails, I love the art on Aaron Dampere, I've, there are so many little things I've loved, but really what's kept me involved in the game, what keeps, keeps drawing me back, is the community. And that's what's going to carry over to 2.0, and that's what's most exciting about 2.0. It's the fact that we have this opportunity to grow the community, to lower the barrier of entry, to get more people involved in this game that we love, but mostly to bring in fresh blood to keep this community as vibrant and engaging as it is. Hey guys, this is Chris Kaiser, Kaiserman86 on the boards. I've been playing Thrones here in Tulsa, Oklahoma for about three years now. Very thankful uh, to have Team Covenant and Covenant Store as my friendly local game shop. Those guys kick ass in everything they do and they do a ton for the community. If somehow you're listening to this podcast and you have not heard of Team Covenant, go check them out. TeamCovenant.com. They do tons of videos, articles, great content for the community. Uh, so yeah, check that out if you get a chance. As far as things I love about Game of Thrones LCG First Edition. Uh, when I started the game about three years ago, I was actually drawn to the huge card pool. It was one of my favorite things about the game, just having so many options and so many possibilities when you sit down to build a deck. Uh, and that was even before the restricted list, you know, doubled in size a couple years ago. So it was just a great time to play. And uh, on top of that, the people, again, Team Covenant, the shop, the guys that run the shop in the meta there was just amazing. We would have weekly tournaments. 14, 16 players was normal for that time. So that's what I'm most excited about second edition bringing back because currently we're sitting around, you know, four to six players on average. We're doing great if we get more than six uh, on a weekly tournament, which I know is more than some metas get by a long shot, but it's just what I'm used to and uh, what I'm excited to get back because uh, as we all know, the player base is going to grow tremendously as soon as second edition releases. So that's, that's what I'm most excited about for second edition. Hello, Will, Aaron, Kyle, Daryl, Brett, Greg, and the entire Two Champs and a Chump crew. Konnichiwa, bitches, as some might say. My name is Taylor Chadwick, and I live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, way up beyond the wall. 
I just wanted to send you guys a message and congratulate you on your 200th episode of 2C1C. I host my own podcast here in Edmonton called What It Is, which focuses on the art scene here, and I know how difficult it can be sometimes to drag your ass and create a new episode. So to get to 200 episodes is truly amazing. We're only at 67 here, and we release them bi-weekly. We do not release them weekly like you crazy guys. Congratulations on all of the hard work. I also kind of wanted to send you a message and let you guys know how much the podcast has meant to me. I got into Agot LCG kind of by mistake. I bought the core set thinking that it was actually a board game, even though the words card game are clearly labeled. I think I just saw Game of Thrones and got really excited. I was a fan of the show and the books. I bought the core set thinking that it might be something fun for my girlfriend and I, but after two or three playthroughs, it wasn't really for her, but I was starting to get really into it because I was a really big fan of poker and board games. So I got some friends into it, and lo and behold, all of us had core sets. There were only about three of us, though, that got really, really into it and had to have every single card. Other than that, I had one other casual player. So really, it was only a core of four of my friends for several years, two years, um, playing the game mainly at our houses and not really getting out uh, into the competitive scene. And to be honest, there isn't much of a competitive scene for AGOT here in Edmonton. And I've really struggled to find other players, even in the province of Alberta, and honestly, even in Western Canada. If you look at the regional series, it's really only regionals in Eastern Canada. And for those of you that know Canada, West and Eastern Canada are not exactly the most accessible to each other. It's quite a drive or quite a flight. So it was really just a small group of us uh, in into the game. But your podcast helped me have this window into the competitive world and actually helped me learn more about the game, learn more about card games themselves so that I became interested in things like Star Wars and Magic, which I had never played before. But your guys' show got me more into the world of an LCG or even collectible card games. So thank you so much for providing this show because I love podcasts and I listen to them all the time. And your show really helped me to learn more about Agot. Since uh, we've been around, I've actually connected with more LCG players. Mainly, they play Star Wars and Conquest and the new flashy things. It's been tricky getting them into AGOT. A lot of the people that play LCGs at the LCG night at one of our local game stores, they're waiting for 2.0 really to drop. And then I think they'll get into it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what 2.0 offers. Recently, I've actually built some 1.0 corset decks of my own creation. I kind of took your guys's as a little bit of an inspiration, but then built my own. So I'd love to send you guys those lists sometime. Let me know if you'd like to see them. Um, I'll post them up on Card Game DB or something like that. But uh, I, I really enjoy this game, and I really wanted to share it with people and trying to find a way to get people excited for 2.0. So I built these core set decks to show to new people. Recently, I've met a bunch of guys who play the Game of Thrones board game, and some of them are into magic. So I think that's a perfect marriage right there to try and get them into it. I played with my core set decks, and they're really into it and looking forward to seeing what 2.0 offers. You guys had asked me to answer the question, why am I excited for 2.0? Well, I think I kind of laid it out. I think it'll be a very exciting thing for new players, and especially here in Edmonton, uh, maybe get some new players interested and maybe put us on the competitive scene a little bit more and hopefully get a regional or even a store championship, fingers crossed, someday. FFG, if you are listening, I will work hard on my end to work with the game stores here, but FFG, there is a group of LCG players here in Edmonton, here in Alberta, Canada 
Canada. So support us if you can. We know it's mainly up to the stores, and I'll work as hard as I can to get the stores into uh, your game, which I very, very much love. Not your game, 2C1C, your game, FFG. My tense about who I'm talking to is very confusing right now. Um, I just, again, congratulations, guys, on 200 episodes. You've done amazing work. I'm really happy to be a listener, and I was happy to be a guest host once. Uh, maybe someday I can come back and do it again, having a little more knowledge, because when I was first on the show, I think I complained about uh, Incinerate being far too long of a card to, for a new player to get into, but it's now in one of my corset decks uh, that I built for new players. Um, so it just kind of goes to show how much I've grown listening to your show and uh, being part of the AGOT community on Card Game DB and elsewhere. Um, great, great work, guys. Uh, congratulations on 200 episodes. Here's to 200 more. Danger Zone! Hey, this is Ross from Seattle, and here are my favorite parts of Game of Thrones First Edition. I think the developers really got so many of their cards right from a Netly perspective. I always get an extra kick out of playing a card just at the right time for the Netly effect, even if it meant playing a card at a different time would help me out even more to win the game. I also think Family Sea Flight got the multiplayer so right for this last game. I know Joust is the most popular version of the way that we all play it, but I really think that it shines best in the melee form. For a shaggy guy in me, I think banking infinite gold on Lionstar in the Barra Black sales deck was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole game. Uh, having infinite strength core Littlefinger was definitely sweet, sweet satisfaction. And finally, I think one more point was just staring down my opponent whenever about to flip the, an important plot on a round and trying to guess what they were going to do. And then trying to put myself in position to really benefit best from my guess. You know, I haven't always been good at guessing what they were going to play, but I'm definitely a lot further along than what I used to be. So things I'm looking forward to in second edition would really honestly be a lot more of the same of first edition, with the caveat that I really think I'd like to see locations play a really more important role in the game. In the Song of Ice and Fire, castles and strongholds and cities, they are way more powerful resources for income and for defense than we really got from the first edition, I think. And I feel that most of the major locations in first edition never really dominated the game like they really should have. And I think locations could be really stronger in the first, in the second edition. Thanks. Happy 200th episode to you guys. Talk to you later. Hey guys, my name is Sean. It's very likely you don't know me as I've been a mere lurker in this community. But if you do happen to know me, it's probably as co-host of Cardboard of the Rings, your bi-weekly podcast about the Lord of the Rings, the card game, which is a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. But I'm not here today to talk about Lord of the Rings, no. I'm here to talk about the only game that matters, of course, the Game of Thrones. A little bit of background, I came into this game and the Song of Ice and Fire franchise a bit late to the party. My friend Evan bought the core set about a year ago and insisted that we would love it. If I'm being honest, at first blush when we tried Joust, I didn't really love the game. This is admittedly mostly my own fault, as I get really attached to the characters that I play in card games, which I just know now is so silly an idea. However, this game actually came alive for me the first time I played Melee. That's where this game just rocks it, with the theme and the ebbs and the flows and the dealing and backstabbing. I found it just so great to get together with a group of friends and crack some adult beverages and fritter away the rest of the evening trading friendly dick punches around the table. 
I'm still super casual with the game, mostly because of the deep card pool and the fact that I bought into it myself about two months before second edition was announced. That said, I couldn't be more excited for uh, FFG to bring everything to bear that they've learned over the course of producing this game for over a decade. You know, keeping the flavor of Game of Thrones and coupling that with the new standard of production value that Fantasy Flight is bringing to their games. Ugh, I'm just geeking out already. I'm going to be jumping into Game of Thrones 2nd Edition feet first, and I'm really looking forward to being a, I guess, more than a lurker in this community. Now, I'm not going to leave today without a shameless plug. Come check out Cardboard of the Rings at CardboardoftheRings.com or Facebook.com slash Cardboard of the Rings. Thanks. And there you have it, guys. This is Will again. This segment was a little bit of a bear to put together, but uh, I have to say, now that I've listened to it all the way through here, I think it's actually pretty cool to hear all these uh, fans giving these diverse opinions on um, what really makes the games great, uh, what they expect to stick around, what they want to see coming up uh, in the future. Uh, not going to lie, uh, feels pretty good. Thank you guys uh, that threw out some thanks to me. And, of course, yeah, I know, we let a few other shows prop uh, their thing here. I'm a-okay with that. I encourage it. I love the cross-pollination between uh, the groups, both with uh, the LCG stuff and even some non-LCG shows that uh, folks mentioned on here. So uh, check everyone else out. And, of course, make sure you go check out Board Game Warehouse, because I'm about to give you another phrase. It's time to go post Kingslayer. All right, and here we are, fresh through our travels through time, with the current 2C1C crew, uh, and we've got some fresh cards to lay on you. Sorry to make you listen this far into the episode to hear about them. I swear we'll pull our usual and post the images the day after this goes up. But we've got some preview cards for House of Talons. That's right, cards. We've got three. Are you going uh, in first, number order? We have, uh, we have a five gold Tywin Lannister. Tricons, <laughs> uh, three strengths. Uh, I don't remember. No, he, he has four strength, and he has two influence. And he has... And renowned, and while he's standing, uh, characters don't stand during the standing phase. Yep. I'm going to give him an A-. Uh, <laughs> it's a passive, so Hall can't hit it. I like that, but Mira can blank him. So. Yeah, yeah, he has no immunities. Mira can't blank him because the characters don't stand during the standing phase. Mira wouldn't have time to blank him before that. Lannister did really need this help I mean, right she now. she could blank him. It just wouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. She can blank him. I didn't say it would be effective. I just said she could do it. Right. Mm. All right, so this card is yeah. in the CCG, and we're going to talk about the <laughs> second-to-last LCG pack. It's in House of Talents. Ever. It, yeah, it's it is not in House of Talents. Yeah. Pretty oh, it, is, it was in House of Talents? Uh, no, no yeah. actually, I think it might have been House of Thorns, now that I stopped. Oh, shut up. It. No, it's Talents. It's got the little claw thingy. I'm pretty sure it's Talents. Okay. Talents was like the rare one. It's almost like there's this website we can check that's going to tell us this. You know, oh. I don't. it's almost I don't. like it, but I don't I don't believe it. I think we should just move on to the All actual right, cards. Someone read the first numerical card, because I'm looking up I'll, that time. I'll do it. I've got Bitter Bridge Encampment. 
Uh, right? Are these showing up in the right order? No, they're yep. nope. Nope, reverse order. Sir Sir Parman Crane is first. There we go. He's Baratheon, of course. He's another Rainbow Guard and a Knight. He's three costs, three strength, all three icons. He has an immunity. He's immune to events. And at the beginning of the dominance phase, stand each Rainbow Guard character you control. By the way, you are right about Tywin, House of Thorns. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, I don't... I mean, I guess he's fine. Like, three for three, Tricon is good. Immune to events is good. Standing Rainbow Guard is good. Knight is good. These are all good things. I just... I mean, unless I'm running epics, I don't think I'm really running him. It's the first thing that makes Rainbow Guard matter in a way that I care. Yeah, yeah, it seem, seems alright. The, the epics are a nice, nice call. This is a, another one where I keep feeling, I guess, I mean, this is just kind of the, the power blow to the game right now. Keep feeling like he needs a little something else, which makes me think Noble Cause to give him the renown so that you're, you know, getting the the extra incentive to challenge and win the challenges, stand, get dominance. Then, you know, they already kind of want the draw for the uh, Baratheon epic battle. It seems like a pretty good uh, cohesive little synergy there. It, I mean, it's not bad, but it's also notable that of the original Rainbow Guard, Parman Crane is the one that you nail an influence to save a, um, a lord. And that was really good. Like, he's got the stiffest competition as a Rainbow Guard. That's... That's solid potential. Plus, it's also worth pointing out, now that you mention that, like, there's still not any cohesive, like, theme or mechanic, really, to these Rainbow Guard. With the old ones, or the, well, sorry, the old ones did, but the new ones still haven't enhanced that, or really have a particularly cohesive theme with each other. I mean, I guess your goal with the Rainbow Guard right now would be to play, I guess would be to play them out of noble cause um, and then get Kingsguard Squire in play turn one and let that be your draw. Yeah, there you is go. Is it Kingsguard Squire? Is that the whole thing? Uh, Rainbow Guard. Rainbow, Rainbow Guard. Or, well, unless you want more standing. No, he only stands Kingsguard. He doesn't stand all- knights as well. Yeah, Rainbow Guard Squire. That's the one that draws, right? Yeah. yeah. If you control one, you'll all copies two. Yeah. And But it's in challenges, so it's less good. I don't know. Yeah. Um... I don't know, he's a pretty efficient card, though, yeah. just in a vacuum. I mean, and then you get the two-claim power, and if you've got an epic, that'll draw you three, and then you got the two two-claim power challenges from Sir Emin Koi, and they don't want to defend because one dude is deadly. It, like, it's a lot of little stuff that sort of goes together, but nowhere near enough. I still, I don't know, the more I look at him, the more I like. He's a 3-3 three, three Tricon. But, like, I'm just kind of looking at that stat line, and I like that more and more as I look at it. Um, okay, if you can get him into play. Like, you, let's say you set up uh, Rainbow Guard Squire, you get him into play, and you get an Epic into play. If you can get all the Rainbow Guard, your power challenge is going to be nasty. It's going to be two claim deadly. Um, renown. Renown. I mean, and then you're going to stand and be able to do it again in the epic. I mean, Brienne has no use for this. Like, Brienne does not fit this at all. Right. And Knight of Flowers barely helps. But, like, I mean, I don't know, there kind of, sort of is a theme, it's just not a good one. 
Yeah, cohesively, the theme's not super great, but I think he's alright by himself. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, why I, would you pl- why would you play him alone? He doesn't do anything if you're not playing other rainbow cards. He helps you with dominance. He's still a reasonable knight on his own. Yeah, I was going to say he might knight. get in a knight stack. Yeah, maybe. I feel like I mean, Mara has enough knights. I like. I, mean, I don't. Harry the Riverlands is pretty good. That is true. And he's not going to kill the wrong door. I hear Lannister is good. Sure enough. I mean, and if you wanted to to dust off and try some kind of uh, Barra that was abusing Westeros Bleeds or something, not much has been done with that lately, but Recursion cannot be discarded, immune to events. They've got they the second one as well, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Storming the whatever. Yeah, Storming, storming the, the Shore or Gates. Yeah. The Dual House one with Greyjoy. Yeah. Yep. Maybe maybe it's worth looking at something controlly with that direction again. I mean, sure. Since they restricted Harren weight, it's uh, storm the gates, I believe. Yeah, not storming because I can't find it. Gotcha. Yep, storm the gate. Three influence or three gold to discard whole kneeling characters. Not bad, especially with a uh, KOF. Yep. Sorry, last no, storm. Oh. oh, okay. And KOF. Yeah, so that. You're hanging on to it, you mean? Um, I mean, Laughing Storm wants to be standing, Night, Night of Flowers will be standing. You're going to end up basically having a really big board as compared to your opponent not having one. Gotcha. <laughs> eh. No. I still don't, like... I still don't think that's actually a good build. Well, anything else worth saying on Parman, or do we move on to the next one? I like both of the next two. Yeah, we can roll... Um, Bitterbridge Encampment, I got that one. Uh, sure. It's two costs, unique Baratheon location. Trade is the Reach. Limited response. After you play a knight character, kneel Bitterbridge Encampment to search your deck for another knight character. Reveal it and add it to your hand, then shuffle your deck. Limit one limited response per round. I love this, I just want to say. Not only do I love this, this is almost enough for me to go back from... Um the restricted of Mel's favorite to Val. Because you're getting Laughing Storm now. Yeah. I mean, remember what we were saying last week as, as we kind of went back and forth and I decided eh, or I said and eventually got some agreement that I think Lanny had the edge in the night on night battle between the two houses. Not anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this gives it back to Barra pretty solidly. Yeah, I mean, you go get Preston, Jamie, or um... Blah, what's a stupid name? Or the uh, Laughing Storm, and you're just like, I'm gonna kick your butt now. Yeah. I mean, heck, I'm halfway tempted to look at this as, like, House of Dreams. Like, I had a blast with the deck thinning and, and pseudo-draw capabilities of House of Dreams Widow's Watch in Stark. Like, Yeah, that's it, what I was gonna say. You can use it almost like that card. Yeah, and if you, I get the, the versatility of grabbing any knight out of my deck, oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of toolboxy knights too. Yeah, knights can do cool things. You're also not really fighting limited response in Baratheon right now, right? Like at all. I mean, downside though, the art is really bland. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's and it's the coolest card with the lamest art. 
And you are only, even if it doesn't have a lot of other competition, Widow's Watch is one you could trigger multiple times in a in a turn, even by its built-in ability. Bitter Bridge, even if you've got some kind of stand shenanigans, is still just that one time. I think that versatility still makes it better. Yeah, get, getting any knight is way better than grabbing a dupe most of the time, I think. Yep. Uh, I'm going to look for other bear limited responses quickly. Sure. Oh, here's another instance where precluding uh, the printed knight trade from Brienne matters. Ah, curses! It's fine, I'm never running that card anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, offer of a peach, it's certainly better than that. Yeah. Right of Conquest is limited and a response, but not a limited response. Um, that's it. Oh, wait, Edric Storm, but I don't care about him. Yeah. Is Martial Law limited? Nope. Oh, wait, yes, sorry, I'm wrong. Um, it didn't come until later. Uh, since no one knows what Martial Law does, it's a two-cost attachment. Siege condition, attach your opponent's location, kneel it. After you win a power challenge by four Martial Strength, kneel Martial Law to claim two power for your house. It's a melee bomb. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, whatever. Okay. Um, this is better for melee, too. Yeah. Is it not? Probably. Like, probably, yeah. It's maybe not one of my go-to kind of things in melee, though, but the card advantage is, is really nice. Yeah. And a lot of those knights do things you're going to want in melee. Duping your knight of flowers in melee is pretty good. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. You can still go get the dupe if you need to. That's a really good point, as long as the dupe is oven. Yeah, and I guess it has to be a knight. Yeah. I mean, you can get knight of the north. Um, yeah. Get that out of yeah. stuff. You can go grab Oakard or something if you need to knock off a Varus or a Littlefinger or something like that. Yeah. Um, if you really, really want to go first, Knights of the Storm. Yep. Hey, and in melee... That could be a decider, actually. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's, oh, that's cool actually card. really good. Watcher of the Nightfire. Yeah. Yeah. Bast- Bastard Night Song. Yep. Couple of the yeah. Set that draw. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there's a ton of great targets. Yeah, Eldon Estermont, Courtney Penrose. Are you going to run See Who's Stronger? Yeah. Yeah. Very possibly. I mean, that just never going. lose a night. Right. Uh, yeah, that's really good. This card Once is- you ain't Preston while you're playing the Black Cells, too, is you, you get that engine set up so fast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd have to find Bitterbridge, but yeah. I mean, if you run two of these and three Preston, you're going to find one of the two, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's kind of what I was thinking. Then you're just praying for Black Cells, otherwise you're sad. Sad. I don't know. Overall, I think this is freaking awesome. This is my favorite out of the three. My yeah, face. Does, does this make uh <laughs> ridiculous? Does this make um black sales better? Uh, Possibly. I mean, you can get Davos too, right? Yeah. I mean, you're searching yeah. lots of pieces. There's not a lot of naval knight overlap, though. I wish there was a little more of no, that to really that- sweeten that deal. But Barra doesn't have a ton of knights to begin with, a ton of naval to begin with. Yeah. So, like, if you're doing that, besides Barra's low naval count anyway, you can just add the thing that kneels to give a unique naval. Right. And then problem's basically solved. You've got 
all the search and all the little barra combos that you want. I might throw that together. <laughs> we can have a challenge. You can do your your bear of black sails with that, and I'll do I'll, I'll make a rainbow guard. Ugh. Oh, I want to see it. We can play them against each other and yep, the challenge of utility. <laughs> somehow we both lose. <laughs> I mean, we talk shit about bear of black sails because it's a bad medical, but let's not forget that it was a second place deck at Worlds. It was really good. Yeah. It's just, it's for a more control meta than we have right now. Yep. And we happen. are probably likely to see by the end of the game. Right. Yeah, well, given that this is the second last chapter pack. It's yeah. just, Black Sails doesn't deal well with Aftermath, and it doesn't deal well with Extreme Aggro. Like, an Aftermath is the best tool to deal with Extreme Aggro, and then you start to run into, like, a perpetuating cycle. Yep. Any more thoughts about this? No, I think I'm pretty good on it. I would like to say that all of my aggro is extreme. <laughs> and by aggro, uh, I mean my penis. Oh. Speaking of that, in Renly's name, it is a zero-cost attachment. It's a condition. Attached to an opponent's character. Response. After attached character is declared as an attacker against you, claim three power for your house. Uh, yes, please. I think yeah. I can make their best character shave my balls. <laughs> I mean, there's just not a lot of attachment control. Unless you're playing Targ. You know, well, you don't see Motley or, like, Fishing Net or any of that shit very often. But when you uh, do, like, if there are those cards, I'm like, it hurts. man, yeah. I don't want to run this. This is not good. And then, like, someone runs it against you and beats your dick in with it. Like, that's what this is. I'm going to go... Man, this card is not very good. I don't know if I want it. And then someone's gonna play it on, like, get three of them out, put them on my dudes, and lock you down. Yeah, you'd literally sit there and go, "Well, do I want to give you nine power? Do I want to give you six power? Three power a turn isn't every single time that character attacks is a freaking lot." It's like, well, there goes Cersei or Tywin or Or Viper. Yeah, Yeah. anyone. Well, and you just mentioned the aftermath. I mean, you can use this to forcibly select who they're getting rid of for aftermath, pretty much. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And it's, it's sweet and melee, kind of continuing that suggestion on these cards. Oh, just like the other awesome attachments you can use. Force yeah. yourself to get power from other people's challenges. Now you can force it on challenges where they do them to you. Yeah. Nice. Some folks have had a lot of fun with those attachments, and I love them. Throw, throwing this in that mix, it could put opponents in some pretty awkward spots. Um, can we talk about Motley for a second since we brought it up? Sorry. I mean, Motley is better than in Renly's name, IMO, but uh, go on. So, Motley is great, and every time I play Motley, my next game is against someone who's running Summer and has, like, 18 gold in the okay? <laughs> and then I'm sad. So I've run Motley, like, four times, and this has happened, it feels like, every time. Did I just lose people? Are we here? No, we're good. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I got I lost all background noise, and I was like, ah, oh, shit. Your conversation um, was just so... Terrible? Fair enough. Something. Inspiring. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, suck me in Renly's name, Kyle. Uh, uh, the only way to do it is it? Yes, yeah. I so, guess that part's true. 
I think the best part about In Rimley's name, though, is it's really, really powerful late game. Yeah. If if they would yeah. potentially give you the win out of that. Yeah. Or even if they're putting you at, like, 12 or 13, and, like, Barra has enough renown that it's making it a really tough decision. Right. Well, and anything that's based around a, a central character or a tower character, this is a big F you. Yeah, Maesters would be very sad. Blood so sad. Sad. Yeah. Good. It's a, it's beats annoying decks. I'm a fan. I beat an annoying deck once. Just once? It's a little but sad that you can't I'm just gonna... attach it to your own character. And then attack yourself? No, then attack the opponent and be like, you win, haha. That'd be great for melee. King make all day. Well, except that it says attached to an opponent's character. I know. That's, that's why I wish it didn't, because I hate melee, and breaking that whole format would be great. Well, now, here's an interesting thing, though. If somebody steals your character with Mel's favor, you could put this on it. <laughs> well, it's going to fall off the second you get the character back, but yes. Right. Just to prevent him from doing anything with it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, at that point, we're assuming they're first player, so yeah. I mean, this also isn't... It's after they attack you, right? So it's pretty much immediate? Pretty much immediate. Maesters can jump this in and stuff. Sure. That'd be hilarious. Well, yeah, but it's still that response, though, so you gotta hit the right timing, like... If you're kneeling your maester to defend and then popping this in, you've missed the the window to actually trigger that no, response. No. Um, so you would like Barra has 18 ways to send maesters at this point. So you kneel a maester to draw, like at the start of challenges, pop up um whatever stand like pop up whatever you knelt last turn to stand it for the like, 18 different reasons maesters have to get it up and sit down, and then um as you kneel, pop this on like one of their three guys on an aftermath turn, and they're like, oh shit. So what we've seen there is there are ways to do it. It's just not entirely convenient and or plausible. (laughs) Can we Uh, just say that phrase of the week goes to maesters need to get it up? I hate maesters. You said they need to get it up. (laughs) Uh, Yes, but I hate maesters. My least favorite deck in the game. Like, worse than Bloodthirst, worse than Old Way, worse than anything. I hate maesters. Oh, wow. That's um, impressive. When I, when I first started playing, all I played against, and Bartel Hollow Hill was like my first favorite deck, all I played against was Greyjoy Maesters before all the restrictions, and it was sad. So sad. Every bit of cancel, like, in the game, plus all the, like, strength reduction, plus all the choke, it was the most miserable experience. Yeah, that could leave, leave a bad taste. This card, on the other hand, I kind of think it's awesome. Yeah. I think think it's fun. I don't know if it's awesome, but it's definitely fun. Yeah, I don't necessarily mean awesome in a tier one. I mean awesome in a... We don't really have a lot of effects like this. Yeah. It's awesomely fun. Yeah. It's pretty cool that they keep carving out all this design space. Like, they keep finding new ways to do cool stuff, even this late into the game. Maybe they're using it as a guinea pig for 2.0. I don't yeah, think then they, we can bitch about reprints when this same stuff comes out. Oh, totally. I don't think I don't think they knew 2.0 existed when they were making this cycle. You know, <laughs> that's the vibe I get too. In all, like, in all honesty, you really do. 
like reading through some of the cards go, why would you print this as an end of cycle? Now, if you were rebooting, or not like not rebooting, like doing some big rotation, rotation. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it definitely does not make sense from a reboot standpoint. I mean, I I think they were on record as saying they were still kind of trying to decide exactly which path, you know, the game was going to go down in the end, so... Kind of makes sense to to hedge their bets in that design. So, alright. We done with this? Yeah. Yeah. So these spoiled cards, these three spoiled cards... As a collective, are they better than the entire last pack we reviewed? <laughs> Very possibly. I mean, pretty, pretty I mean, sad. Except, but except that Doran Solar is already being broken, yes. Yeah, that's getting popular, and the, we decided the plot was good. So, I mean, yeah. we said there was two decent cards in here, and there were two decent cards in there. Fair enough. Christ. Eh, this pack's going to be really good. For whatever reason, I feel like the second to last pack is always a little bit crazy. A little yep. bit crazy. I do think that's true. Nate always throws something sexy in it, like a little pizzazz. Yeah. It's kind of like Throne Seasons. Second to last episode is where all the shit goes down. There you go. They probably stole that from Nate. They were like, you know, this man knows how to design a series or a cycle. <laughs> And slops. I, I've, and got really, and I've got a really fast topic if Will wants it. Nope. Uh, you can save it. Just write it, just write it down for 201 because I'm going to forget. Okay. Um, we should talk, since we're at like a big landmark of the game, about our favorite deck ever in the game. I mean, we, we can kind of come back to that uh, at some point. Just, but, just write it. I mean, as far as 201 goes, remember, that's that's going to be a little bit. Why? So, because I'm taken a bit of a break after 200. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Di- dialing down... Yeah. Not forever, but until 2.0 sta- starts gearing up, so... Really? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I, I didn't realize about we were... this forever ago. I fucking remember. <laughs> I drink while we podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's legit. But I mean, if, if it's a small topic like that, like, I figured we would still come back and do uh, the chapter pack. Review. Oh, we're, get, we're getting a chapter pack. Like it's it's coming in the next two weeks. Um, right. Our store said like April fifteenth, so we'll have a chapter pack like next week. Yeah, yeah. So like there will be a two o one, and I'm sure a two o two before too long. But the next couple episodes may just be like not regional reports until the until there's chapter pack reviews, and then yeah, then we can like segue into regional stuff and. Pick, pick up again as, as regionals are rolling and have uh, have more 2.0 news by by then, I hope. Well, we should do probably something. That's We're all going to be at Gen Con, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, well, we should well, do something for the release. Well, 2.0 news will start before that. And once yeah. that's. Oh, yeah, we'll of course. We'll go back to normal. Before that, but, I mean, yeah, yeah. I just, I just wanted to hopefully be able to, to have a, a couple light months to dial back and just have a little bit of spare time. Konnichiwa, bitches! You can oh. just put that wherever, Will. That's alright. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just throw it out there. That that may be the opening quote this week. Who knows? This is this is going all kinds of places. But I did have some props <laughs> I wanted to throw out there. 
Probably. Sam. Yeah. I'm going to throw out some props to uh, the third episode of Telltale's Game of Thrones game. It was pretty okay. Maybe not full-blown props worthy, but like three-quarters props worthy. It was definitely uh, uh, not as strong as the first two, but I think sets things up uh, for the future episodes to be pretty awesome. So, yeah, I doubt any uh, of you guys have gotten into playing on that yet. I I played the first, and I've just been waiting because I would rather play them in a chunk. Gotcha. Um, well, aside from that, I've also been, uh, I mean, just into episodic gaming in general, and I also dug Life is Strange, which I think I propped the first episode of on here. The second one was out, and I got to play it, and it was just as good as the first. I think maybe better than some of the stuff that, uh, that Telltale's been doing. I've, wow. yeah, I've, I've really dug it. The, the mechanics with the time rewinding are, uh, a sweet way to tackle these kind of, uh, conversation choice based games. Well, keep propping it until, uh, Till it's until all the series out. ends, and yeah. then I will totally download and play that. Well, they they had a big gap. It was like three months in between episode one and two. But according to their their schedule, it's I think supposed to be monthly from here on out. So maybe you know Gen Con ish. Uh, maybe I can talk you into playing the whole thing. Absolutely. Well, I've got a boring repeat prop to uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Again, it is just unbelievable how <laughs> how hooked and addicted. And so we played against Grand Warlord Voss. He can um, be rough. Yeah. At the Dinotopia or Dinosaur Island or whatever it's called. Insula Primalis. Yeah. That's the one. So I was uh, Legacy, and my buddy was Ra, and my wife was Tachyon, Ooh, and yeah. we were getting pounded hard. <laughs> And I sacrificed myself pretty much to keep them undamaged for a couple rounds. Mm-hmm. And then my wife figured out how Tachyon works. So <laughs> I started pouring damage on that thing. Was this a core Tachyon? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Late speed barrage. Yep. And uh, Ra was making her and himself inv- invulnerable to the fire damage that the minions the guy had were doing. It was, it was great. And so I, I was killed before they even flipped. And they were, like, down to, I think they had 30 or 40 hit points each, and they were still able to come from behind and do it. It was pretty amazing. Nice. Just watching them. It was real impressive. That is awesome. And you can, like, you're still useful when you're dead. Yeah. That's it's a not great like everything feature falls of the apart. game. It's How was I useful? You can, you oh, did you not know that? Flip your character card, dude. You can still get a power once you're dead. Oh, so that happens when you're dead. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah. when you die. And um, then you, so you still have something productive to do on your turn, and you don't just, like, space out. Oh, that would have been helpful, but no. Then it makes their, their victory even more. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Props to them. Yeah, basically this, any of those three you can choose to do on each one of your turns. This weekend, Agent Zero, I think. Oh, absolute. But yeah, he's rough. Be ready. Like, he takes a while to get twos. You need his modules for him to do yeah. anything. He's not one of my favorites. A little too fitly, it feels. Um, yeah. I, I like him more after the corset. Every single villain in the corset has a way to destroy... Well, besides Voss, I guess. Play him against Voss. Besides Voss, they all have ways to destroy equipment, and that just ruins his day. Got a good recommendation for location-villain combination? 
Uh, yeah, you want to... I mean, not for not with Absolute Zero, but you totally want to fight Citizen Dawn and Insula, Insula Permalis. It's really fun. Okay. <laughs> Citizen Dawn's my <laughs> favorite course. Citizens and Raptors? Yeah. Yeah, that's well, that's and that's actually her place thematically. She oh, conquered I that island. She conquered that, that island. Okay. Well, then we'll we'll try that one out and report back. Um, Rook City comes out on the app next Tuesday, as in like four days after you guys are hearing this. So nice. you should totally get Rook City. It's got the hardest films in the game. Whenever we're ready for that, we will. Yeah, well, it's also on the app, so you can practice and figure out what's what. Two heroes, two environments, four villains. Cool. There you go. And uh, they're selling like all the expansions and promos as they come out on the uh, app for twenty bucks. So you might want to get in on that before things come out and they change the price. But like, functionally, you're getting everything that's included in the Sentinels game for thirty bucks, and that's just a great deal. Good to know. I'm gonna prop getting really drunk with Matt Light all weekend. Hey, why'd you see Matt? I think. Well, I haven't yet, but I'm gonna. But it's gonna be awesome, and I can tell you that already. Hours before you listen to this, Kyle will be en route. That is true, yeah. We're leaving Friday right from work, heading on over to the great expanse that is Wayne, Nebraska. And we'll probably talk business. He does own one of my student loans, and then we'll get shitty wasted. Awesome. Good to fit the business in there, you know? It is. It's a productive trip. Last time we ate his... Um, dehydrated mango slices and they were really good and they were from some like really nice organic store thing and then we came back here and bought some from Hy-Vee and it just wasn't the same they were from Hawaii yeah his were like from Hawaii but I was like wow mango slices are delicious and I got to see my heat taste nowhere near as good Danny's not on this podcast <laughs> I heard her therefore she's on this podcast I, I disembodied laughter <laughs> We're uh we're definitely in bed. Like it is time. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a uh, TV show props. Uh, okay. First for this season of Archer that just ended. Uh, it was good stuff. It was I- great, and I really want to see where they go from here. Um, and for upcoming Louis and Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, Thrones is so close. Hey, and don't forget Daredevil. Same oh, day episode two hundred goes up. No one's gonna be listening because they're gonna be watching Daredevil. Shit, I've got plans all weekend. It's a friend's birthday. Now I want to get some. We'll watch it at Rings's. Maybe we'll all get drunk and watch Daredevil. There you go. Don't play any Last Thrones. Just watched. just marathon all the way through. We watched a bad lip reading of Game of Thrones for like probably 20 times in a row. Like an hour and a half of just watching that five minute video. So Daredevil would be more productive. Nice. Than last time. But granted, at like 1am, 2am when you're really drunk, everything's funny. Well, that's true. That's true. Not Louie. When you're drunk, Louie is disturbing. I want to watch that really bad. Wait, people talked to once and I missed it. What? I said I want to watch it really bad. Will claims that it's always disturbing. Almost always. It's um, it's not about being funny. I think it's about feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, agreed. And how, how that leads to his comedy, sure. But like, it's about the really uncomfortable situations that get him there. That sounds like Will's life. I mean, Will's not funny, but, like, there are uncomfortable situations that have formed Will into what he is. <laughs> Agreed. It's, yeah, it's pretty much all my life is built on. That is so sad. <laughs> like, when you say it, like, oh, wow, a youth fall into a pit of despair. Slops to that. <laughs> Pro- slops to pits of despair. 
I mean, I don't think there are many things that are worth slopping more. Wow, Rab's just heard of 30 Rock. That's pretty great. <laughs> hey, well, he's he's embarking into a bright new world, I think. Uh, since I just said Parks and Rec, what the hell is the name of that show? Billy on the Street, I think it's called? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's called Billy on the Street. It's um on Funny or Die. It's fantastic. It's also on some random network I don't get. But it's... um. Remember the, like, sort of neurotic guy who replaces Leslie in the last season of Parks and Rec as head of Parks Department? Uh, I have not watched all the way through. I all right, the second, no. the second to last season, have you seen, though? No. Still not there? All right. Yep. There's, a, there's a really, really neurotic character who's completely hilarious, and um, he does this thing where he just literally runs up to people on the street with a camera crew and asks them absurd questions in a really manic manner, then yells at them about their answer, and then runs away. <laughs> and it's really fantastic. So I wonder funny. if he ever yelled, Danger Zone! But wait, what's that, dear listeners? You mean there wasn't a fourth phrase or word to post for the Sweet Deck Box giveaway? Oh, you guessed it. I wanted to test and see how many people were willing to listen through the Easter egg this week. So, here you are, ladies and gentlemen, the final phrase that pays. What else could it possibly be but Danger Zone?